Hello crew, welcome to The Rev Up, the podcast where we talk about all things revenue growth. Um, today on the show, I'm super excited to have my first returning guest, uh, the one and only Charmaine Keegan. Charmaine is the director, founder of Smarter Selling. Um, honestly, Charmaine's one of the one of the best sales trainers that I've encountered. Uh, she really, really knows her stuff, really, really understands uh, the, you know, the important balance between the dynamics and the mechanics of selling um, and how to really get teams in a place where they understand how to best serve their customers and how to best help their customers and all of the skills required to take them from, you know, strangers through to customers. Uh, I feel super, I suppose, grateful because actually Charmaine's joining me today to to essentially be a takeover host of the Rev Up. Uh, this was Charmaine's idea. She wanted to return the favor and interview me back. So um, yeah, pretty excited for that to take place today. Uh, as always, the Rev Up is brought to you by Trust the Process. Uh, at Trust the Process, we help businesses to find amazing offshore team members uh, in the Philippines, uh, the right person uh, with the right skills at the right cost. Uh, we really focus in and specialize in the areas of marketing, sales, and service um, with those team members. Find you the best people so that you can scale your business. Uh, we also obviously help out with things like HubSpot, getting the right systems uh, and platforms in place so that you can best manage your business and particularly those offshore staff uh, that you're going to be employing. Uh, you can find out more at ttprocess.co. Please head there. Uh, now, if you want to reach out and say hi, you can also find some details there. We've recently launched uh, a new service offering where essentially we are taking exactly what I'm doing here, making podcasts, making video content uh, and turning it into uh, the content that will feed your content marketing strategy. Um, and so on the website under services, there is content as a service. Uh, feel free to go and check that out if you would like us to make exactly what we're making here, but make it for you. Um, so as I say, super excited to speak to Charmaine. Over to us. Welcome once again to the Rev Up, Charmaine Keegan. Hi, Ben. Lovely to be here again on your Rev Up. Yes. So good to have you back. Uh, I mean, look, last time we had you on the show, I think you and I must have spoken for three hours to eventually have a, a one and a half hour podcast. I think we might still have the record for the longest rev up uh, to date. Uh, so much to talk about. And after the last time we spoke, you know, you made a suggestion to me that maybe we should uh, flip the script a little bit. Why don't you share with the listeners what it is that we're planning to do? Well, I thought, you know, I've been listening to your rev ups and you're a really good host and you ask really good questions. And I thought there's probably lots of people that we both know that your podcast gets out to that's not really sure exactly what you do. You're asking the expert <laughs> about what they're doing. And, you know, let's just tie that back to what your organisation does, a bit about you, Ben, and then about how you're helping people, like, you know, why you're doing the rev-ups as well, but mainly about you. So can we flip now? Can I start? I re uh, Absolutely. Okay. Best okay. guest host, Charmaine okay. Keegan. Wonderful. Um, well, let's start off with you, Ben. Let's find, find, mm. let's share your story. I would love to. Um, 
so I'm a, you know, career salesperson. I've managed lots of teams all over the world, big teams, small teams, all that sort of stuff. Uh, but ultimately, I actually really enjoy selling for myself. I think no matter what, I've uh, wherever I've gone, I've always actively been involved in selling because I think it's fun. I think it's really interesting. It's the most, I think it's one of the most human things you can do in business, right? Have a conversation with somebody, understand where they're at, where they're coming from, what they need, what they're struggling with, and figure out whether you can help them in some way. You know, and, and that to me is uh, is one of the most sort of fundamental human relationships we have in business or outside of business, you know. We connect with people that we understand and that we can help and they can help us and they understand us. And so I've always really loved it. Uh, but I started like, I started with the very, let's call it the very traditional uh, background that a lot of successful salespeople come from, which is the door-to-door, uh, -door commission-only sales on the main streets of Melbourne. Uh, walking around selling, uh, you know, credit cards and charities and energy contracts and all that sort of stuff. Uh, if I didn't make enough money, I didn't have enough money to eat or pay my rent and all that sort of stuff. Uh, you know, I did that for far longer than most people do, usually do. Uh, I extended all the way to about 14 months doing that, which I think most uh, most people that try that, it's usually, you know, one or two months and then they're out. Uh, but that was because it was such a high turnover thing, because it was such a difficult thing, nobody wanted to do it. I mean, look, first of all, they advertised it as a marketing assistant job, uh, which tells you everything you need to know. <laughs> uh, because so many people went through it, I was 19 years old, doing really well, and they were like, hey, have a team. And so, you know, I was 19 years old, taking a team of, at first, a couple, and then six, seven, eight, nine people. Um, across the state, staying in caravan parks, you know, working out of Albury Town Square or wherever and walking around the streets and trying to sell stuff. So, you know, I had my first team member at, at 19. Um, I, I was very strange. I came back from Melbourne after finishing up doing that and wanted to work for like a big company with a very normal type role. And I worked for American Express and a few others. Um, which was which was great, but I just kind of never really found myself. You know, I was good, I wasn't great. Uh, I didn't really didn't really ever find like a a moment of passion for a long time. And then I started working for an events company. You know, B two B type events, crazy stuff that like just nobody ever knows about. You're the weirdest person at every party because someone's like. Oh, I'm involved in uh, mining. Oh, what do you do in mining? Um, I'm uh, I'm involved in mining automation, and then you can just reel off ten companies that are involved in mining. You know, or uh, drill and blast. Oh, what part of drill and blast are you in? <laughs> you know, like uh, just because of the types of events we were doing, you had to know be able to pick up what was happening in the industry. And I got super lucky. I met my first like really important mentor, uh, a guy named Mike Adams who is uh, currently the chief commercial officer of CEO magazine. Um, I was super lucky to meet Mike because he could see that um, I could pick this stuff up pretty easily. Um, but he also really rewarded that I became a bit of a champion of the process. He was the first person that really taught me that if mm -hmm. you 
figure out a process, if you figure out what works and you learn how to repeat it really well, uh, then you can be far more successful at a far greater velocity uh, because you're measuring against something. It's not just about the ability to take the customer through the right series of steps. It's so much easier to get better at something if you're doing it the same way over and over again. If you make it up every time, you never make any progress. And so that was that was super lucky for me. And um, you know, he taught me one of the to me one of the most important lessons about um, hiring leaders as well, which was um, hire the champion of the process, the person who understands it, who can teach it, uh, who gets it, who can improve it, um, and who can champion it amongst the teams. And so I got, you know, I was 26 years old, 25, 25 years old, and a sales director with a team of 28 people, <laughs> uh, which was amazing and incredibly difficult, but uh, loads of fun. We're a super young company, lots of very inexperienced people, and so, um, you know, a bit of turnover and lots of onboarding and training, but the best possible fun and um, that mentor of mine moved to Singapore uh, and actually my first managing director in the events industry had also moved to Singapore and uh, they, I was talking to those guys and they needed someone to come over and uh, help them kind of solve a couple of product sales problems and so I went to Singapore and uh, Singapore was a massive eye-opening experience for me because I ended up working for a higher education company, uh, you know, sort of half a billion dollars in revenue, thousands of students recruited from 150 odd countries around the world, all going to uh, Australia or the US or the UK into, you know, top universities, Australian National University, University of Sydney, Imperial College London, all of these sorts of places. And, uh, you know, I ended up with, at one point, a team of 200 plus, um, across sales and operations and admi admissions and all different areas doing 75 plus million dollars in revenue. And uh, actually, I'd say the biggest lesson in all of that was I figured out what it was I didn't want to do, you know, reporting into the board of a half a billion dollar company, traveling 120 days a year, uh, make a lot of money, but barely ever saw my family and barely ever saw my friends and had no life and, uh, you know, life on the road in countries all over the world was interesting exciting for a period of time but um you know it's sometimes you learn that that sort of big business career path is really exciting for someone it's really exciting to kind of get to that point um but i realized it wasn't what i want wanted so i came back to australia and got much more involved in smaller businesses realized that that's what i really enjoyed stopped working to help bigger businesses and started working to help smaller businesses particularly when i joined uh, the entourage a um, you know business coaching organization as their sales director and helped them to grow during uh, everybody's favorite time you know during the COVID years you know I was there from October 2019 and we were a 100% face-to-face events delivery education company as well as a hundred percent face-to-face in terms of our acquisition we did all our acquisition through face-to-face -face events uh, when COVID hit, we were in the middle of a tour about to head off to Auckland <laughs> when lockdown started. And, uh, you know, we had to massively pivot really fast. And so move from, a you know, in the office, everybody's running events and, um, you know, 
doing those exciting things every day to everybody's now at home. We have to deliver our product from home. We have to sell from home and all that sort of stuff in, you know, we had to turn that around in weeks rather than how, how you would normally do something like that, doing it over the span of years. So, um, it's been a pretty wild ride up until this point. Landed at Trust the Process uh, maybe a year ago because I've spent years running teams all over the world. 31 countries I've hired people in now. Did the, uh, did the maths the other day. And, uh, you know, that sort of experience translates massively to, to an outsourcing business like Trust the Process. And uh, so now I help our clients to figure out what can work offshore and what doesn't work offshore and uh, do my very, very best to tell them the absolute truth about that, which is not always the case in our industry. There's some stuff that works and some, some stuff that doesn't. And, uh, and here we are, hosting the rev up, uh, looking after growth at Trust the Process. Wow. What a great lineup. I didn't know half of that. That was so, <laughs> that was so good. But, you know, as you start to go through each bit, it, make, it makes total sense of where you are now. Mm, yeah. Dealing with 200 people, dealing with people before that, being 19, having a team, you know, obviously always open to learning, knowing, you know, taking lessons and wisdom each time. And then, of course, you're dealing with different countries. It means you understand how to communicate effectively with different people. And if it's operations as well, I mean, all those different hats, it, it makes complete sense to me now. The, the jigsaw puzzles there of why trust the process is so successful. And so hooking on to what you've just said, mm. you said, you know, what does work offshore? Well, let's just say, first of all, let's go back a little step. I know you've gave us your history, but if somebody was to just look you up, can you just give us a summary of what trust the process actually is and how it does help small businesses? And then I'll come back to that, what works yeah, offshore. Yeah, sure. Great. Um Look, Trust the Process was founded by a couple of uh, former um, army veterans. Well, I suppose they're not former army veterans. They are army veterans. Uh, spent 10 plus years as, um, as officers in the Australian Army uh, running logistics operations, right? Um, and so Trust the Process really is ultimately about what they learnt coming out of the military, which is everything if you want to be able to scale any kind of operation and do anything particularly well you need to have a way that you're going to go about uh, creating systems and processes right you need to be able to systemize you need to be able to automate and have technology take up the work wherever possible uh, and wherever technology can't take you you need to then delegate to fill the gaps uh, because if you can't do that then you can't do anything at scale right mm. you can only do it yourself and so trust the process was ultimately built to help small businesses be able to um, first of all do the delegation right obviously we we wanted to work with people to help them to systemize and to automate and all those things but to start with it was just you need some people right and so we started out ultimately as an offshoring organization and for anybody that hasn't spent any time in this particular world there's a lot of different terminology that gets used right um, you'll hear people talking about outsourcing you'll hear people talk about offshoring outsourcing being that you give somebody else a process to do they run a process for you that can be onshore in australia it can be offshore somewhere else uh, but offshoring ultimately being that you are hiring people in a different country to do the work for you uh, but you ultimately own the process does yeah. that make sense Altogether, outsource, you can outsource an offshore together, but offshore is the location and outsourcing is either, uh, outsourcing is where you give somebody a process to do. Somebody else does the process for you. And so 
ultimately now we hire talented people offshore in the Philippines for companies. Um, we are we are essentially far more in the our area of expertise when we're talking to people about uh, marketing roles, sales roles, and service roles. Um, in part because you know those are between the founders Matt and Pete and myself, those are our areas of expertise. Um, but also those are the areas that really, if you're a small business, you probably need to be spending the largest percentage of your time and the most of your resources in order to be able to move forward. You know, all growth is sales and marketing led. Um, and so you have to be able to resource those parts. And let's be honest, lots of companies are finding it very difficult to find good sales and marketing resources. Um, yeah. and so that's where we are now. Uh, we are also a HubSpot agency partner. And so that takes me back to the automation piece. We help companies implement things like uh, HubSpot CRM uh, so that they can uh, manage and track their customers, their data, automate some of their processes and make sure that they have, you know, good control over what's happening in their business. Yeah. Great. And how long has uh, Trust the Process been around? Uh, would be close to five years now. Fantastic. Yeah. So looping back, that's really helpful to explain those differences. Looping back to what does work offshore, because it's been around mm. five years and you've had lots of time to, you know, when you're dealing with many people that you've been dealing with, you know what works, what doesn't work, both in your former job and now. Mm -hmm. Take us through, Ben, what works really well offshore and then take us through why. Why does it work well? Mm. Uh yeah, so I'll give you a tiny bit of context. Like even yeah. actually outside of, of what I do through Trust the Process, um, I've had offshore teams for a long time, uh, well, over, well over a decade. I've had teams in lots of different locations. Um, and you would know this as well, Charmaine, from all the work that you do coaching businesses, right? Um, you know, I spent years at the Entourage, for example, coaching businesses. And the more people you get to have these kinds of um, these kinds of coaching type relationships with, where you get to see what's happening, you get to give advice, implement, and then see the results. If you're doing that with hundreds of companies, you just get to see what works at a far greater pace uh, and with so mm -hmm. much more perspective than most people get the chance to. Mm -hmm. um, and that honestly is also the case with outsourcing, right? We work with. Um, hundreds of clients where we are helping them to execute against individual processes. We hire people for them. Those people come in and execute against those processes and we get to see what they're doing. We're involved in their onboarding and their training and we get to see um, how they work and what, what they execute against and we get to see what works and what doesn't. And some of that is, you know, we get to see it because a role is not working and we have to replace it. Right, and sometimes we get to see it because a role really, really works, and then we want to rapidly scale it. Right, and so um, there are some really, there definitely are some specific roles that work well, and some that don't. And the way I tend to think about it, um, the way I tend to think about it is, the thing that they're going to be doing um, first and foremost, do we have a process for it? Right. You should only ever attempt to outsource or offshore a process, right? If you try to outsource or offshore a problem, you tend to just get a bigger problem, right? 
Um, and whenever I talk to somebody about this, it's like, what are you trying to do here? Uh, okay, we, we need to fix our marketing. Okay, what in your marketing do you need to fix? Well, I don't know. That's why I need someone to tell me what to do. <laughs> if that's the answer, you absolutely should. You absolutely are not ready to offshore in particular, right? Outsourcing is still an option because you might want to go and talk to a marketing agency, for example, which is an example of outsourcing. Um, but outsourcing agencies struggle with this too, right? I mean, I feel sorry for for marketing agencies. I know... Uh, there are a lot that kind of get a bit of a bad rap. There's every, how many small business owners are there out there that have had a bad experience with a marketing agency? They are just about endless. But I think most of them don't get set up for success because if you're trying to execute some sort of marketing strategy um, and you are making it up from scratch you don't, and you don't yet have anything, it's really hard for somebody external to come in and be able to understand your customers well enough and to be able to understand your business well enough and your product and all of those things to turn take something from zero to one, mm -hmm. right? When they've got a moving car and something to steer, a marketing agency for sure can come in and, and, and say, okay, well, the way that you're doing your Google AdWords could be done differently and more successfully. Your SEO is missing these one, two, three, four, five elements and that would improve it. But going from zero to one is almost impossible. And so whether it's outsourcing or offshoring, um, do you have a strategy in place? Do you have a process? And is that process yielding some results? Because if that's the case, you're, you're probably ready for outsourcing. And if you have a process that is working well and you just want someone to execute it, not necessarily improve it, then an offshore team member is probably right for you as well. Um, the second way I like to look at it is um, is ultimately about um, how you look at, at the, the task that needs to be done within your business. Is it something that is um, hugely strategically important, right? Um, or is it something that, you know, is going to get some benefit with scale and repetition? So the example of this is if you're an e-commerce business, and you essentially are going to outsource the running of your website, the management, the improvement, the development of your website, you are taking the single most strategically important thing and placing all of the lessons, all of the learnings, all of the knowledge about it working in somebody else's hands that is not a part of your team where you don't really have the control to be able to document it and improve it and all those sorts of things. And so if you ever end up in a position where that let's say it's an agency or an offshore team member wants to leave, uh, which is the case obviously with internal employees too, but if you ever end up in a position where uh, an agency then wants to leave you, they hold all of the power. And I've seen, I've literally seen this with, um, with businesses where they have no leverage to negotiate because if their agency leaves, they're screwed, right? And so if it's hugely strategically important and we are talking about SMEs here, well, you know, we're talking about founders, CEOs, and director level. If it's hugely strategically important, somebody very heavily connected to the company should have a high degree of knowledge and capability to be able to execute on that thing, right? Mm -hmm. If the if the thing that you are thinking about outsourcing or offshoring just requires a piece, a pair of hands, right? You know what you're doing. You just need somebody who can just do it, and it's um, it's 
you know, the, the strategy, the capability, the knowledge are already internal at your business, then absolutely you should go and hire offshore. And so an example of this would be, um, again, if we're an e-commerce business and we have a, an e-commerce website and we need somebody to just do updates of the images and uh, uploading products and answering customer queries and some bits and pieces like that, massively valuable, right? Um, those are a couple of like marketing website examples, but I think the other, the other side of things is if you look at something like, um, you look at something like sales. So like when to outsource to me, mostly people are going to be looking for something like cost savings, right? That's usually the trigger point of maybe I'll look at outsourcing and offshoring is can I save some money? Um, but that's not always the only way that you can generate value out of offshoring. And a really good example of this is even um, a client of ours um, where they are in the building industry, right? As part of their sales process, they have to be able to um, quote and tender. And if you're going to quote and tender, you have to essentially have estimators, right? If you hire an estimator in Australia, you're going to spend maybe $100,000 a year on salary on an estimator onshore in Australia, and they're going to probably be somebody with a little bit of experience, maybe not um, university qualified to do the work, but a little bit of experience. Um, if you hire that role in the Philippines, you can hire a person with a civil engineering background and 15 years of experience to do your estimating and maybe your drafting, right? And so that person in the Philippines might cost you $35,000 a year. So you're paying one third of the cost, but actually that's not the only benefit. The benefit is you've significantly raised the capability of the person doing the work, which means you not only pay less, but you get a better outcome. And so yeah. there's loads of these examples where uh, we just have to think about like what are the tasks in the process? What is the role made up of and what parts does it make sense to try and gain some additional skills? What parts um, can we can we really afford to save money on and what stuff, you know, is really super important to the customer maybe, customer, customer facing stuff where you might want to still do it onshore. Does that answer the question? Have I, have I done an okay of answering that? Okay. Yes, I, I would love even more examples. I mean, I know Little Bird tells me that this construction thing's on your mind right now. So are we able to share the success of that? Just to give an example, because, I mean, you've, you've sort of touched on it a little bit. And I think personally, if I ran that construction company, at no point would I even think about having an estimator from overseas. That wouldn't even be in my mind. So I think that's a really good example because I think often people think of you know, people that are doing quite um, simple tasks, maybe mm -hmm. other SEM directors like me may not be thinking of these more complex tasks. Um, like that's a lot of thinking. That's a lot of doing. That, that wouldn't even be in my in my mindset. So can mm. you share the success of what's happened to that particular client? I, I absolutely would love to. And there is a, uh, there's a success story on the way. We're literally in Victoria hanging out with these guys uh, last week um for partially for that purpose we did some other things as well did some sales training with them and a few other things um but i mean these guys are super super smart operators and you know we would never claim credit that it was our idea as you know a thing that, that they decided to do um but what this ultimately means for you if you can 
Um, if you can decrease the cost of scaling, right? One thing anybody that's been in a high growth business knows is that growth sucks cash, right? It costs money to grow. Uh, and sometimes that's in resources, sometimes it's in stock, sometimes it's in additional technologies, there's costs to growth. Um, but if you take a team where every additional person that you add on is going to cost you eighty dollars to $120,000, let's say, and you say, okay, for every one of those people, right, so if we want to grow um, to three times the capability, I have to hire three of those, okay? If I split my team out so that all of that important customer-facing stuff gets done onshore, and some of the volume work that requires, you know, some some very specific skills, educated skills. If we break it into, let's say, one onshore and two offshore, well, now your cost of growth is essentially one and two-sixths versus three, right? So you've almost halved your cost of your staff growth in your sales team, which means that if you have the work, which in the construction industry, Everybody's got all of the work. There's no people to do all of the work. So we got to take as much as we can when we can get it. If you've got that situation and you want to grow and now your cost of growth in terms of your resources for sales have halved, well, you can grow twice as fast, right? You're not going to be blocked as much by, um, by the cost of growth. And so, I mean, look, that individual company, I'm not going to give specifics on revenue, but they, they grew, uh, they grew roughly tenfold, uh, over about three, over about a three year period. Um, super, super impressive. Um, and you know, that's one of the most important things to being able to execute against growth is what is the cost of your growth and how you're going to execute against it. Um, and so that's, yeah, it's a great example in, in, in what is ultimately a fairly complex sales process, but anybody who has um, any part of their process or their business delivery that requires, um, you know, skilled staff, but maybe that aren't so customer-facing, um, there's loads of roles like that, right? Like video editing, I think, is one of the best ones. The dip, the difference in quality that you get from an Australian video editor versus a Filipino video editor is negligible, right? And in many cases, it's far better offshore. Um, the creative stuff for things like that are, are amazing, but the cost of a video editor in the Philippines versus Australia is, you know, a quarter of the price. So, you know, wherever there's these things where there's a high degree of technical capability to be able to do it, um, and actually some of the good, some of the creative stuff can work well. Maybe not things like copywriting, but video editing is a great example. In all of those scenarios, you can get amazing stuff. Like look at uh, anybody listening to this. I promise you, if your accountant is doing well at all, they probably have offshore bookkeepers, right? And those offshore bookkeepers, um, will almost certainly have been accountants themselves. And so the quality of the work being done in an area where you probably don't need that level of qualification, um, you just get far better work done, still again, at a much cheaper price. 
Whatever business you're in, if you're using B2B service providers, I almost guarantee that they have some offshore team members augmenting the work to increase profitability. And in many cases, you never see them, um, but they're doing work that is, you know, in many cases, highly skilled work. They're just doing it for a fraction of the cost. I think those examples are really good. Uh, particularly the creative side, the video editing and things like that. Um, how would somebody start this process, Ben, of discussing with you? I mean, you really mentioned they've got to have a process ready. There's no point offshoring your problem, I think your, word, your words were. Mm -hmm. So there's no point. So you've got to have your ready-made process. How would they start? I mean, how, how do you make remote how do you make it work? So mm. when they come to you, what would be the steps of what happens? And then, you know, like a visual, I'm a visual person, what, what does it look like to have a team, one, two, 12 people that are offshore? What would that look like? How do you make that work? So let's start from the beginning. How do they come to you? What, what happens in that point? And then actually the ongoing management, how does that all work? Are they part of their team? Mm. Are they in their team meetings? I just need to get a visual on it, but are they in the team meetings or are they separate? Mm. Are they run by you? Give us a top line of how that happens. Well, one of the things you mentioned there I think is is a sort of um, an element of probably the most important part for having offshore or remote teams generally, which is that they have to be your team member. Um, I don't find that completely outsourcing, forgetting about abdicating a process uh, is particularly effect effective in any scenario. <laughs> so to me, um, look, if somebody comes to us and they have something they wanna get done, the first question always has to be, is this something you're already doing or is it something new? And if it's something they're already doing, they will already have a way that they do it. Those ones I actually, I don't think are particularly difficult to get started. Um, if you say to somebody, do you have a process for this? Their answers will almost always be no. But the truth is that they do, right? They've just never documented it. <laughs> And so um, one of the things I like to get people to do is I say, well, why don't you just show me what you're doing? Show me what the thing is that you want them to do. And they'll share their screen. We'll be on Zoom or something like that. They'll share their screen uh, and they'll go, well, I do this and then I do this and then I do this and they'll click and they'll move around. Uh, and then we've got to go over here and then we send this email and et cetera. I'm like, okay. So everything you've just told me just then is already a process. And the good news is this Zoom is recording, so we've already captured it, <laughs> right? I think that, that a lot of people get very scared about or, you know, they're, they're so certain that they couldn't possibly ever, ever make a process. <laughs> I don't know what it is about the word process people get yeah. so afraid of. They're like, I, I don't know how to do that. That's not a thing I can do. It's like, well, you've already done it. Right, you just haven't captured it in a way that somebody else can learn it. You know, yeah. when somebody new starts in your business, how do you teach them how to do this? And if the answer is, I, you know, I just jump into the system and I do it, you go, okay. Well, have you ever used a, a program called Loom? Right. Yeah. For those of you out there, Loom is an amazing piece of kit. It records your screen while it records you talking, and you can just do all the things that you would normally do while you talk about doing them. And now you have training documentation <laughs> we're, we're obsessed here with loom obsessed yeah. 
I mean, we have everything. In fact, the words we use is, is it loomed? In other words, if somebody ever has to show somebody else how to do something, the first thing they have to do is go to our training modules to check it's not already been recorded. And then if it isn't, as they're being shown, it has to be recorded. I reckon we save at least eight hours a week on that alone. The other night I was here at 10.30 at night and I need to do something that my team normally do and I thought, how on earth do they do that? I thought, hold on a minute. And it just took me a second to go to that training folder, went down to, I think it was lead pages, clicked down to the eighth one that had what it was, opened it up. It was 45 seconds of someone explaining how to do it. I reckon that alone saved me 45 minutes and the stress and frustration. So I totally agree. People don't realise they're doing processes already. Um and I think they're not also used to capturing it because they don't even know these things like Loom exist to mm, capture. Yeah. And so they think, you think about onboarding somebody and the time sitting there explaining it and explaining it and explaining it. It's taking up your time. It's taking up their time. And then they have to remember it all. Like a mm. week later, they've just had their brains been opened, like you've poured loads of stuff in. And then you go, deep, I talked about it on Monday morning at 10 o'clock. Like, I can't remember. You know, <laughs> um, you know, I knew with a didn't know where the toilet was on my first day at 10 o'clock. So this way they can go back and review and review yep. and check. So I love, I mean, I say the words trust the process every day. I was going, is there a process? If there's no process, we're going to continue to make the same mistake and waste time yep. and be inefficient. Yep. That's my sentence every day to the team. Is there, what's the process for that? What's working isn't working? That's fine. I don't care. But we need to come up with something that does work so that the next 30 times we do it, we have a process. You have to trust the process. Without a 100%. process, you're wasting time. It's inefficient. People get things wrong and it spirals. It just needs a process. Yeah. Um, if you're, Are you ever going to do this again? This is the question for me. Okay. Is this yeah. a once-off or are you going to do it again? How often are you going to do it again? Because something that takes five minutes to do now and you do it again in a week's time for five minutes – I know it's not much, but the mm -hmm. those five minutes stack up again and again and again. And if you can delegate that and you can have a process in place and you can have a documented process in place, it just becomes so much easier to not have to constantly do it. And this is the biggest frustration for most people in business is it's just easier if I just do it myself, right? And the second you create an environment where it's not easier for you to do it yourself, now you're free. Now you can actually grow your business, right? Because yeah. other people can step in. They don't have to ask you. You don't have to re-explain it every time. And you don't end up with all these monkeys on your back that you just have to carry around forever because no one else can ever do it. Yeah. yeah. I, I think we've got to the point now. I think AI has probably done a lot of good things for companies like yours as well because people are realising – all around me, people are explaining how to be more efficient and effective and how to, in a way, that's delegating a task, right, in mm, this yeah. form, a task that we once did that actually something else can do that's more cost-effective. And I think that might open the doors for people to reach out to an organisation like yours to say, well, actually, I've never thought this before. I think people sometimes think, then, well, I'm a small company. I've got one or two people. To me, it's like that's exactly why you need to reach out and do it. Because, <laughs> yeah. You know, you can then have, as you said, three or four or five people that are actually the same salary as one person. But it's not about the salary. It's the time and the efficiency. Like even when you just said five minutes a week, it's not ever five minutes, is it? Because it's two or three minutes to think about it. You've got it on a mm -hmm. list. Then you go in to do it. Then you come out of it. Well, 
nothing's really ever under 10 minutes, is it? So no. that that's soon going to pay for itself in less than a month. And then you've got the next three years of the same person doing the job. Well, that's quite obvious that energy and effort versus outcome, that return on investment is pretty quick. So what what you started to say what good things are outsourced. I mean, I'd like to drill a bit further, if you don't mind, on mm. you mentioned sales. I think you then said marketing. And then you also said service. Service, right? Mm. So um, I understand sales. I understand marketing. I think most people might think of marketing, in fact, when they think about offshoring and things like that. They might think of marketing. I'd like to drill down a little bit more on what sales you're seeing happen um, offshore. Is it like live chats and things like that? And also service, if you can just give yep. us some examples. Well, I mean, look, the estimator thing is a sales thing happening offshore for sure. Oh, yes, um, that's right. But some other things that, that tend to work really well. Um, actually, I'll, I'll share two things. <laughs> you tell me which one you think works well and which one you think doesn't. Surprise quiz. Uh, two things that we that we have people come to us for all the time that are very similar but fundamentally different. One is inbound lead management, right? They have leads coming to them. They've got a good flow of leads coming in, yes. right? But nobody does anything with them, right? We Occasionally a salesperson picks up the phone, calls a few of them, but they sit there for days and weeks and whatever and no one does anything with them. Yeah. Uh, I see it all the time. Um, and so they want to hire somebody to, when a lead comes in, call it immediately, get in contact with it, qualify it, book it in for, let's say, a skilled salesperson who knows the industry, whatever, to be able to then have some sort of discovery, you know, strategy session, blah, blah, blah. So pick up a lead immediately, qualify it, book it in for a meeting is number one. Number two, which we probably get more frequently, is I don't have the leads coming in and I want somebody to make outbound calls to a list, a database. Uh, I want them to make outbound calls and book people in for discovery sessions, right? Cold list. <laughs> this is not much of a quiz, Ben. I was hoping something a bit harder than that. Well. Here's the thing, Charmaine, we get hundreds of inquiries for number two, hundreds, hundreds. Right. Of well, okay. So they need to know good marketing, good, good, connect. you know, well, that's HubSpot, obviously, that you do to then it all see, oh, it all, oh, it's just like, it's like salt and pepper. It's like, <laughs> like strawberries and cream. You know, no wonder you do both businesses because obviously what you're saying here mm. is, let, let's make sure people come to you. In other words, they have some need for what you have. And then the qualifying, as long as they have good scripts, we'll talk about scripts later, da, 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 they know what they're doing, then they can pass it over to, I think you mentioned, a qualified sale. But in other words, the expert in their field, an industry expert, the authority in their field, yes. to then continue that. You called it uncovery, discovery, exploration, whatever you call it. Yep. Well, that makes sense making sure that skilled salesperson's highly skilled and has coaching mm -hmm. from somebody. As and they get the chance to be edified too because they're being booked in as a, as an expert, right? Like they yes, should actually be an expert, right. but you get the chance yeah. to talk them up as an expert because you're booking in with them. Yeah. Um, but that, that second option, that outbound lead generation type oh. option, look, it can work. Lots of companies are, mm -hmm. are very effective in doing outbound lead generation. But what 
almost always goes wrong when we work with a company for a role like that is they hire somebody in the Philippines and they give them a list and that's it, right? There is no process. There is no script. There is just names and a phone and they expect them to get some results from it. But even you and I would find that, you know, challenging, boring, monotonous, and we wouldn't even know what we're selling. And as we both know, the beginning of sales is actually your mindset and being and being completely sold on what you're selling and know the outcome to a client before you collaborate and engage because that lifts you and then you can really sit in and, and your intent is to understand them, which is what you said mm. at the beginning, so you can then help them, which is why you got into it in the first place because you're helping people. Yep. And I think if you offshore that, you've missed everything out and it becomes the good old 80s, a numbers game, which is what it used to be, right, a numbers game. For that very That's reason, people, people just show up and throw up. It was just talking at, talking at. So if somebody listens long enough, they might need it at that particular moment. Um, but, you know, what's interesting with that is, if people are really investing in good websites and they're doing frequently asked questions on their websites, there's a lot of a lot of research to show that people are coming when they do connect with businesses, they are coming in more educated than ever oh, before. 100%. You know, twenty years yeah. ago, you know, like when we used to even hire people twenty five years ago, it was a bit gift of the gab, some nice this goes because that person had to be the persuader, right? Yeah. Now, when that qualification, when that client. When the, when the whoever they're selling to prospect is reaching in, they've put in a bit of homework, looked at over the website, looked at frequently asked questions, looked at some videos. I mean, I know myself the calls we're getting now compared to fifteen years ago. That people they don't say to me, "What do you do?" They go, "Oh yeah, I can hear your voice. Oh, you're Charmaine. Yeah, I've watched your eight videos." And like they're coming in mm-hmm. at a different point in the sales journey, right? So that's why I believe if they've had some sort of lead already that's come in i mean first what pains my ears to hear that they haven't got enough you know that they no one's big enough on the lead all that money on marketing but i think it's also very clever and that's where you guys can step in to say that's okay we've got ready-made qualified coached people that are ready to go that just need to understand about your business and they can qualify and make that because the person already has a need and therefore as long as they've got a process and a script and they know what they're selling and what how to ask the questions and they're setting up that expert, then I think that's a very clever thing. So that's one okay, that's mm. a good thing in sales. I think that's good in sales. Is that well, the main I'll, thing you do I'll, in sales? I'll say yeah, yeah, I'll say one more thing about that particular role. And it, it look, it's the main thing I would want to do in sales because it it solves a fundamental sales problem, which is inbound active inquiries from the moment the inquiry is made, start to decline in conversion rates, right? And so if you, can, if, you, if you have a resource whose job it is to pick up that inquiry and make sure that that person is resolved as fast as possible. Okay, so the definition of resolved is different across lots of different businesses. So for example, if I'm a, an electrician or a house painter, my client, my potential customer who makes an inquiry, what do they want? They ultimately want a quote. That's what they're looking for. And so speaking to that person and booking them in for some kind of discovery session is not resolved 
in that industry, they're not resolved until they have a quote in hand. And in those industries, you will find that the conversion rate for the first quote is like 80-90%, right? So in that scenario, how fast can we get it to quote, right? That's when resolved happens. But for a lot of them, it's like, um, how much does this cost? Uh, what's this feature about? Whatever the, the question is that's coming in, the sooner we resolve that question, right, for anybody with legitimate buying questions, um, the first person to resolve that, answer, that, that particular inquiry uh, in B2B, it's like the first person to resolve is like 50% of the time the one that ends, ends up winning. So you, you solve a major problem, which is you, if you have salespeople and let's say, you know, experienced expert type salespeople, where do you want them? Do you want them making 10 phone calls to speak to one person? Or do you want them in meetings? Because if you want them in meetings, they can't be the people picking up the leads because they'll be if they if they're doing a good job, then they're in meetings all day, and so then you have to tell them off because they haven't picked up the leads because they were doing a good job. It just doesn't fit. Mm. And so having both of those things covered, great uh, salesperson who's in meetings all day in the moment where they can have the highest impact, and then somebody who's picking up the leads as they come through and making sure that they're looked after. I always talk about them in terms of like, they're like a concierge. Their job is not sales. Their job is to make sure that this person who has an inquiry gets a chance to speak to the person who can best solve their problem, right? And so in order to do that, they've got to ask them some questions and understand what it is that they're looking for and where they're at and all those sorts of things. Okay, now I can pair you with the right person. The person you're going to speak to is this person. They are the right person for you to speak to because they know about ABC. They've worked with XYZ. Da, 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 da. You're set up on Tuesday at 2 p.m., right? They're a concierge to the information, to the right expertise. Uh, but that lead now, that person who was sending out inquiries to multiple companies or whatever they were doing, um, because they're booked in, because they've been spoken to and because they're booked in, most of the time they'll stop looking now because they know the right information is coming, um, even if they don't necessarily have it quite yet. Um, mm -hmm. Most people will act as if they're a resolved inquiry at that point. And so your conversion rates by having a person who does that, if you have an inbound flow, they significantly improve, right? Uh, you have to move fast still. You can't have that person pick up a lead and they book them in for a meeting in two months' time. Uh, it's got to be like tomorrow, today, in an hour. Um, but that to me is like one of the most no-brainer sales roles that you can have. A concierge who just picks up your inbound leads and makes sure they get booked in and fill the calendar of your highly expensive qualified salespeople. Mm. We call it first in best rest. That's it. Yeah. First in best rest. And that's interesting. You should say that we had a. I had a call once from somebody. Been on. I don't know. He'd been. He'd seen me at some event, and uh, he was in. I won't say what place he was in actually, but he sold swimming, swimming pools. So I'll keep it to the point when he sold. Mm. He said, "I get a lot of tar kickers. What shall I do? Get a lot of tar kickers. What do I do?" And we always look at this problem, like you know, we want to band aid the problem. And I thought already, and we had taken a wild guess at it, but I can see what the problem is. And I said. What happens? He goes, well, people often go online at night and they want a swimming pool. They write it, they fill it all in. I looked up what they had to fill in. They had to fill in like at least eight questions. So the person wants a swimming pool then. And he said, the next day I called them up and they, people always, they're not really breaking it down. I said, well, when do you call them up? 
because when I'm, if I'm on a job, it's like 4.35. I went, you've, you've missed it. You've missed it. Somebody else has called at 8.15, formed a relationship. Mm. Uh, got a, he said, well, I can't because I'm driving. I said, then you do three calls as you drive and go, Mrs. Smith, thanks for your inquiry, da-da-da. But me, this weekend, you know, offshore because that person would have more time that's present, mm-hmm. that's dedicated to get those questions going, to have the set questions to ask, to form the relationship enough that Mrs. Smith doesn't bother calling anybody else up, which is just what you've said, because Mrs. Yep. Smith feels that they're in the hands of the experts and they'll know enough about who they're going to pass them on to and enough about the business that the Mrs. Smith goes, oh, okay, well, job's done. And so even though that person can't call me back until five o'clock today or tomorrow, I, as you said, I won't bother calling out. And, in fact, if they've already mm-hmm. put forms out, then when what happens is, which was what's happening to this guy, but he was on the receiving end, when the reps start calling back, they don't bother answering the calls because yep. they've been locked in with somebody else. I think that's a brilliant idea to outsource that. I think it's very clever because a lot of small businesses are driving somewhere and don't have the manpower. And this guy, the light bulb, just went on. He went, that is exactly my problem. I just realised that's exactly the problem. I think I think he said he then called, it was like he was converting one in ten and now it's nine in ten through that one thing. But even then he mm-hmm. can't keep on top. He can't keep on top of them because he can't always have a long enough. You've got to have that long enough call that they know they're with the expert and they've got enough information and, and not just a order taker of information, but they've got to know a little bit enough yeah, language is that they've got to know enough to just feed a few things back. The credibility tick, we call it, you yeah. know, so the person realizes they're in, they are with the authority in their field, in whatever electricians, whatever it might be, whatever business it's in. So that's a really so people use that for sales, obviously, a lot for you. They should use mm-hmm. that more. What, what, what else in sales might they come to you for? Um, so. I'd say honestly, that's probably the main thing. The main thing, yeah. Well, that's, <laughs> if I, that's, if I that's, talk about that's, anything else other than, yeah, other than like offshore estimators and all of the other stuff, honestly, it doesn't work as it doesn't work nearly as well. So, mm-hmm. actually, this it is a, it is a really good thing to talk about, which is um, we will get a lot of people with, let's say, like you know, a three four thousand dollar average um, deal size coming to us that want to do full end to end sales. Oh, I go to an event once a month and I get this whole list of people and they're, you know, they're qualified, they're warm, blah, 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 and I want this person to call them, take them through a sales process and sell them. That end-to-end sales sales process stuff I tend to find doesn't work so well, right? And I think the, the lens to view it through is you have to understand the market that you sell in, okay? And you have to understand the environment that you're currently selling in. Unfortunately, there are a lot of scammers nowadays, right? And what do they sound like? And what are they calling for? And what are they trying to do? And if what you're trying to do with an offshore team member is even 20% the same as what all of those scammers are trying to do, you immediately are going to be in a position that is completely unwinnable. And so, the great thing about something like somebody who manages your inbound leads is that you can position them in such a way that they are like a concierge. It is value add. It is premium service if you do it right. It is not potentially a scammer. And if you if you look at, at your what you're asking someone to do objectively and say, could they be mistaken for a scammer? 
And the answer is yes, don't do it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's obviously, mm. I mean, I can think of variables where if people went to a conference, they picked up leads at a conference mm-hmm. because the person has said, contact me. Then that's the same as an incoming lead, right? That's not being answered yep. because that, and then your, your, Team, you well, they'll be their team, but your, you know, your offshore individuals mm-hmm. are able to say last Thursday at the so and so conference, you enter da da da. So it's just that's the same. Just to make that clear for anyone that's listening, yep. that there are there's a difference in how the leads come in. There's leads that people actually have had a concerted effort. It's been deliberate. I've wanted to be in contact with versus scooped up, which yep. is you know, outbound, I've got to now persuade you that you might have this need and I've got to try and get you talking and influence you and tell you it's important yeah. to talk about now. That's that's what's not working, I can hear from you. I mean, that's already, mm-hmm. frankly, a tough job for a really experienced salesperson yeah. to do. Um, so, yeah, okay, that's, that's good. So that's the main one. And then in marketing, uh, take us through a few marketing roles that are working really well at the moment, your top couple of marketing roles that work well. So anything where you you need some level of technical capability, I find works really well, right? Um, okay. So let's say, for example, SEO, SEM, um, yeah. website development, video editing, graphic design, all of those types of things, I get amazing results offshore. And look, we have our own marketing team at Trust the Process. Uh, We have a content marketing team who deliver content as a service to our clients, right? You create a video with us, we take that one video, turn it into a whole bunch of pieces of content to fill your whole month's content calendar. Um, And I think one of the biggest things for me that, that everyone should learn from having a team like that is that each of the skills in marketing pretty much is its own skill, right? If you're going to be a great graphic designer, you're probably not a great SEO expert, right? And so marketing's gotten so specialized, nobody can be a 10 out of 10 in all of the things. And so for the content that we deliver for our clients and for ourselves, we have a video editor, a podcast producer, audio, graphic design. We have our own website developers uh, um, for HubSpot CMS, for example. Um, but all of those individual pieces are individual skills, and mostly the people in those in those types of roles want to do what they're skilled for because the more experience they get at it, the better they get at it, the better the pay they get. And so, you know, somebody that is highly skilled in search engine marketing, let's say, uh, you know, Google AdWords or something like that, they don't want to be posting on your Facebook account. <laughs> They want to be doing yeah. SEM. So um, any of those types of things. But the pro- the problem with that for a lot of companies, the smaller ones, is that um, if you hire somebody for an hour a day, you don't get very, very good results out of them, right? And so um, for most things, if you're a company that has enough scale that you can have a full-time or let's say a minimum of like a 20-hour-a-week part-timer, where you're still probably the primary client that that individual works for or split between two. Um, in that case, and you, can, you can have a 20-hour-a-week graphic designer or web developer or SEO expert, um, then that works really, really well and you can get great results. 
The only thing I would say about all of those things is, and I think this is generally a rule for managing people at anything, is whoever's responsible for managing the person at least kind of has to understand how the thing works that that person is doing. It's really hard to manage someone where you have absolutely no idea what it is that they're doing and what good looks like because a key element of good management and good leadership is being able to give frank and honest feedback so that somebody can improve and helping somebody to grow and helping somebody to develop. And if you don't even know what good looks like, you're only going to really complain about the outcome, whether the inputs are good or not. Um, and that's, that's a really hard person to work for, right? And so um, one of the things that I always look for and where I know I'm gonna get great results with somebody is if, let's say for example, there are even like a three, $4 million business and they have a marketing manager who is a bit of a generalist, but they know how to do some stuff, but they are a marketing manager. That person, I 100% want to hire a graphic designer for a video editor, whatever they need, because they at least will know the stuff that they're managing well enough that they'll be able to, you know, quality control, keep, uh, give really good, um, helpful feedback, um, know whether the person is doing a good job or not. Because, you know, this is the thing in, I think this is true in most of business. Sometimes great inputs don't always immediately equal great outputs as we figure out some things that we're doing. And so, you know, this happens in, in offshoring a lot where we don't immediately get the great result and so we don't spend the time to work through getting a great result and so we give up on it, right? And so for me, that's a big one. If, if, if they know a, a bit about the thing that they're hiring somebody for in marketing, then they can hire them for just about anything. The only thing I would say generally keep a little bit clear of, unless you're really willing to spend offshore, is things like copywriting. It's such a, a market-specific thing. Like I don't get Americans to write copy for the Australian market and I don't get yep. Australians to write copy for the American market because it's just different. Um, and so that's probably the other one. Don't, don't try and do copy. Don't try and do big strategic creative stuff, but creative delivery, videos, graphics, et cetera, is awesome. So um, some listeners here, Ben, might not be big enough to have their own marketing department. They might have a separate marketing company or you know, a part-time marketing person, mm -hmm. let's say. Yep. And that marketing company or person, they might be offshoring some of the work. But mm -hmm. what do you have at Trust the Process? Because you mentioned there you do, you can do websites, you can do this, you can do that. So uh, videography. So can someone come to you for one thing or is it really not, doesn't work like that? No, no, actually, you, yeah, just take us through how that would work. Um, yeah, so there's lots of different ways we work with clients. Um, you can come to us for one thing. You come to me and say, I need somebody to manage my social media accounts, for example. We can hire a person to do that. Um, I would typically only hire somebody for 20 hours a week or more. That's just what I find works, anything less than that, and you don't get the focus of the person. Um, but there's lots of different ways we can work together with somebody. So an example of this is, 
Like I love hiring marketing staff for marketing agencies because marketing agencies know what they're doing, so they do a good job of managing the marketing staff. So if, if a small business is working with a marketing agency, for example, most marketing agencies will still require an internal champion who does most of the execution, right? Like they might be developing um, your content, for example, uh, and your strategy for all of your social accounts. Um, but then they hand all of the stuff off to you and you log into your accounts and you upload it and you do all that stuff, you use a schedule or whatever. If you, if you have a person offshore who is your sort of marketing assistant, who can work with a marketing agency to then do all of the execution, make sure the emails are going off on time and all that sort of stuff, that to me is kind of like marketing admin. Um, that yeah. stuff works amazingly well. So you don't have to be able to afford full-time graphic designer, video editor, etc. Uh, if you if you're using a marketing agency, usually it's great to have an internal resource who can help execute against all that stuff. Like how many how many people in business are using a marketing agency and they're like, oh, I just never get time to post the things or do the whatever. Um, I keep not responding to them, and so I feel really bad that they they're not doing a good job. But it's not because of them; it's because of me. Like mm. having somebody to fill those gaps and do that stuff tends to work really well. But the other way is. Um, if anybody who who would like to execute some sort of content marketing strategy, uh, particularly B2B businesses, anybody that wants to do this kind of thing that we're doing right now, make video content, make a podcast, make YouTube videos, and then turn it into a whole bunch of content they can use across LinkedIn and Instagram and Facebook and TikTok and wherever else because we can make horizontal, we can make vertical video formats. Um, we do that for clients too. Uh, and that is ultimately the whole process of the strategy, what are the topics we're going to talk about, uh, getting you on a call and capturing all of those things, your brand style guidelines, your tone of voice. We can help work through all of those things, get together once a month, capture a video just like this, send it through to our team who will then watch it all the way through, edit it, cut out all of the really cool pieces, write emails, blogs, social posts for it, and send it all back to you and go, there's all the stuff uh, so that you can go and deliver on it. Which if you were going to do that for yourself, you have to hire a copywriter, a podcast producer, a video editor, a graphic designer, et cetera, et cetera, right? And so we can do all of those things within that team for you, but just output, here's the content that you're going to use for the next 30 days. Wow. Product, product <clears throat> rather than people, right? It's a service rather than, you know, hire a person. And we, we work in both ways. Usually the bigger the company is, the more they just want to hire a person because they're already doing stuff and they just need a pair of hands to fill a role that they've already got going. Um, but smaller companies, quite often they need an outcome. They need a service uh, because they can't, they absolutely can't afford to have the six people required to make great content. So you could do not just from a podcast and a video like this, but you've got a team that's a, if it's a smaller company that could just do content and mm -hmm. cut it all up and repurpose, et cetera, et cetera, yep. and schedule it, use a scheduler, as you said, yep. or do everything. Mm. So yeah, if, if, they're in, if they're in HubSpot, for example, so we obviously yep. work with companies on HubSpot. If they're in HubSpot, we'll just load it into their HubSpot for them as well. Right. Because HubSpot has its own social scheduler. <laughs> yeah, and we've worked, you know, like we work with um, from consultancies, we work with an ESG consultancy. Um, 
environmental sustainability and governance for anybody not up with the ESG stuff. And, uh, you know, we work with uh, a client who is an archery skirmish location, right? Like paintball, but with, um, <laughs> with bows and arrows that have big foam things on the end. Super cool. Um, you know, to make, uh, to make video content for them. So anything wow. anywhere and in between, uh, but typically the best, the best content to, for us to make for people is stuff like this. Like if, if you're a, an expert-led organization, you've got expertise that you offer, typically service businesses, quite often B2B businesses, uh, where you've got a lot to say, you just don't know how to say it and you don't know then how to package that up in order to make it interesting for people. That's ultimately the best type of client for this because we'll work through with them you know, what are their product pillars? What's the model they're going to use to teach their capability, right? How do they get it to land in their customer's head in a really succinct way that you can maybe make a, a diagram out of? Yeah. Um, you know, help them do all that sort of stuff and then, you know, be able to, to talk from their expertise. Like you think about like an accountant or something like that who's got so much knowledge and so much to say, uh, they just need a need to know a good format of how to say it. So would I be right in thinking then, Ben, when I think of your organisation, I think of the offshoring, right? At the very beginning here, you mentioned the HubSpot as a partner, but now you're talking a little bit more about this other product service that you have, which is for those other companies that don't have a full-time marketing person and can't mm -hmm. have a, you know, the idea of having an offshore person, as, a, as you said, they're specialist in marketing, they're specialist, you know, the SEO person isn't a person who, who does social media, for example, but you're saying that you have people on, so would somebody just contact you, would they email you? Maybe at the end you can explain how they'd get in contact with you to just to have that conversation. Because I think mm. what, what I understand is when I see all the different places you're working with and what you're doing, if I was being honest, if I thought about those places, I wouldn't, it wouldn't enter my head that somebody offered a service like you offer. I'd have to think, oh, I need a marketing person. And then, you know, you get frustrated because obviously, as you've just said, they're not everything to everybody. Mm, um, yep. So you get them and you realize they're really good with websites, but they have no idea about content it. marketing. Of course. And why, and why would they? You know, that's right. So, so you're saying there's a service that you do where you can take that, you could be that source, yep. be it website, be it social, be, be yep, it. We do websites too. Anyone yeah. wants to talk to us about anything marketing, we'll, we will either have a service or we can provide people for it. Yes. Um, actually, we, you know, we work with, um, we've got a very close partner that we work with. To me, it's like everything comes back to the start of the process, right? You have to trust the process. And the process ultimately is, first and foremost, do you have a plan, right? Do you have a strategy? Because if you don't have a marketing strategy, well, then what are you executing against? Mm -hmm. And so um, we actually also have a partner that we work very closely with where if one of our clients, like there's no point in us making content for them if they have no strategy yes, that is the point of the content in the first place. So we have a partner that we, we work very closely with where they will help our client to um, generate their strategy and their processes go through a sort of six to eight week program where at the end of it, they know what they're going to be doing and they know how they're going to be doing it um, so that we can then either go ahead and do content for them or for a lot of the things, hire somebody offshore to execute against the strategy. Right. Mm. Uh, 
Then how many times a day do you say, trust the process? Just like in the sentence, just trust the process. How many times a day do you think you say that sentence? Uh, well, given that I talk about us a lot, it's probably, uh, it's probably in the, I don't know, if I were to guess, I would actually say it's probably about 15 to 20. Uh, if I was going to, you know, uh, go with some hyperbole, I'd say hundreds, hundreds and hundreds. But, and I mean not the company trust the process, but you just say, <laughs> you just say, because at least three times during this, you're just going you know, to trust the process. There's going to be a process. You've got to start with the plan. You've got to trust the process. There's no point yeah. executing if there's no plan. You've got to trust the process. I reckon you'd probably say it a lot more than that. I just speak to yeah, you. You're probably you right. Find out how many times you actually say that at home. It's subconscious now. Subconscious now. Don't even know. Um, that's really great for you to share, Ben. I had some other things. Um, oh, you know what? Let's talk about what's topical right now, which we let's haven't heard it. it before. Yeah, let's do it. AI in sales thoughts. Um, it's a big, it's a big topic, right? And so for me, um, and I'm keen to hear your thoughts on this too. Um. I think that in a lot of cases, uh, people that aren't using it are, are very polarized. You know, they either think that it's going to be able to do everything or they think that it's completely useless. Um, for anybody who's actually using, I think there's lots of really interesting applications, uh, particularly where you can speed your process up. So I'll give you an example of this. Um, the most simple one, the you know, the biggest brand name in the world of AI for businesses at the moment, the the Chat GPT. Um, it's actually it's really good for some things. Like uh, we use it in our sales process because one of the things that we do for people when they come to us is we help them to organise their thoughts around what is the job, and so in order to do that, we we write position descriptions for them. Okay, and so we can take, you know, a few bullet points. Uh, what's the job you want to do? Okay, one, two, three, four, five. Uh, and then we go into ChatGPT and we say, write a position description for this job title where these five things are the primary points. Bang, done, put it into a format and send it back to the, to the client. And now they have something that, I mean, look, I think position descriptions are a fundamental part of hiring. You have to know what it is the job, what the job is that you're hiring for. You have to be able to explain that to the person who's taking the job in order to have expectations of what you know what their uh, the output's going to be. So you know what we were doing, you know, twelve even twelve months ago was we would do a call with somebody, take all of our notes, go away, write a position description, come back together, share the position description, and go through it and agree. Now, while we're having a conversation, we can just go tap, 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 boom. Here's the position description. Tell me what parts you need to change. So we've, we can massively shorten the sales process while still providing that, that really essential component that is important for clients. Whether they hire through us or not, they can use that position description for the role that they're going to hire wherever they go. Uh, so that's an example where I think like it can be super helpful. Um, I definitely think there's a lot of people trying to use AI uh, to replace human connection and, and, and things that real humans should do. 
And so one of the things we've talked about a lot at, at Trust the Process is that, um, you know, technology generally, technology and digitization should add to the human experience, not replace it. You know, it's really um, because we are ultimately a business of people, that is our product and our service is people. Um, there's a lot of these examples where, for example, uh, in the sales process, we might try and respond for a part of a nurture sequence using something written by AI in the moment based on uh, whatever response we've got from the client. And I've seen some of those examples uh, and I've certainly seen a lot where people are putting forward that it works really well. Look at this amazing example written. Uh, but a lot of those automations misfire or miss the mark far more often than they hit it. Uh, and I would say in many cases do more damage than they do good. Like the second you try and personalize or automate personalization or automate connection and you get it wrong, the detrimental effect is very, very strong. As soon as somebody knows that's not a real person, it's a bot pretending to be a person, the pushback becomes pretty serious. Uh, so for me, like there's lots of, there's lots of ways people are trying to use it that I think are relatively dangerous and ineffective, but there's also ways where like, if we need something to be created faster that human eyes can then look over and make some edits and fix a little bit, like the example of a position description, I think it can be massively beneficial massively decrease the man hours required in order to do some of those things and speed up the process so the customer gets to where they want to be faster, um, yeah. you know, where there's no value to them to go slower. It doesn't help them to have three days in between before they get their position description, right? Yeah. 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 Do what do you think? think? Well, I was going to ask just back at you for a second. Do you think it's different depending on the – the, who the customer is, for example, you know, we've got a lot of younger generation here that expect it to be a bot, want instant because they're used to instant. I mean, TikTok's three seconds now, right? They want instant and they don't get maybe as frustrated as I do or like, oh, no, that's not the question that I asked. And that little bit of a, I mean, my first reaction to most things, if I'm online and it's a chat, it's like, oh, speak to so-and-so. And they, they tell you it's a bot and it's fine. And if it's a simple question, it's fine. But they just want to find something on luggage, you know. And it took me an hour and a half and I just thought, I just want to speak to somebody. Um, <laughs> I've got three guitars and I want to know how many charge for those three guitars. Well, after an hour and a half, I couldn't work out if I was being charged for those three guitars. And it's yeah. just like, you know, and it's, but of course, I then went on hold to the airline and that took 45 minutes to get through because they're trying mm -hmm. to shift everyone to there, right? Um, but I thought, that also, Ben, is down to something really important, which is even chat, GDP, whatever, it's only as good as the way you ask the question, right? Mm -hmm. And I believe that younger people are so um, native to this, even my 12-year-old, the way they write questions and ask it is far superior. It takes some thinking in my behalf to mm. word something in a certain way to get the outcome where Already they are used to wording it. So they get instant outcomes that are far superior to me, which just takes me another step, another few seconds yeah. to think about how to word it differently. So maybe they're, they're not expecting human connection. And let's face it, some of the very younger people don't want to have human connection. Mm -hmm. they, want it, they don't want to have to make a phone call or actually connect with a human being. Surely it's electronic and it's, it can yeah. tell me straight away. Um, 
Look, so, I think it's oh, no. I was just going to say, so chatbots, I think, is a great example where where the technology has got to, um, if they're programmed even reasonably well, mm. uh, you know, they have access to the right information, they can be hugely beneficial, right? Yeah. Chatbots to me are one of the ultimate hacks, right? You, you know, that conversation we had earlier about um, speed to response, like somebody fills in a form, goes into a system, they, but, 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 there's like three, four steps before they actually speak to somebody and get an answer, whereas chat is instant and immediate. Um, so your, your, you know, your response time is zero seconds <laughs> rather than how many hours has it been since that inquiry came in? Mm. Um, and most of the technology for chatbots now is, is the AI technology for chatbots is pretty good. Um, mm. You can go really far and probably for most companies, um, if, you, if you invest in it, you can probably do 85% of your inquiries can be answered by a chatbot. For some, it's probably, for a lot, it's probably higher. For some more complicated type inquiries, it's less. But I mean, like if you're like, um, if you're a like a B2B product business, for example, and you've got 10,000 freaking SKUs of bits and pieces that you've got to sell to different companies, and you're using a good B2B e-commerce site with a good chatbot with you know that's that's using AI somebody asks what are the specifications of SKU 0047598 um, you can have them set up to be able to answer so much and go so far for you but i think your point around like expectation really matters um, the stuff i'm talking about that i don't think works is where we're trying to pass off a robotic process for a human interaction. We're trying to replace real human connection and somebody feeling like the process is personalized to them through automations. And that to me is where people are getting it wrong with automation, they're getting it wrong with robotic process automation, they're getting it wrong with AI. But actually chatbots, a lot of that is really, really good. And I think um, if you have a high volume of inquiries coming to your website, it's probably something very much worth investing in. Um, you know, we've got, we're not using AI on our chatbot. If anyone goes to ttprocess.co, clicks on the chatbot in the, in the bottom right-hand corner, that is a basic HubSpot chatbot. And the first four steps are automated. First four, five steps maybe are automated. Um, and then essentially it is a conversion to uh, qualification and booking with a, a real person. So once it's qualified of they need this answer, it's not an answer we're going to provide here. For example, they want pricing for offshore staff. It's not something we're going to give from our chatbot because it is highly dependent on the individual tasks of the role and someone's not going to sit there and click 4,000 inputs <laughs> in order to get that price. Yeah. So we need to remove them from the chat and into a conversation. So yeah. to summarize that, <laughs> If you've got a high volume going to going to your going to your website, um, and you can use chat and you can enable it with AI, you can go really far with it. It's not cheap to get that stuff right, but it's super super powerful. And that's probably one of the areas I would say bigger businesses should absolutely have invested a lot of money into, and some smaller really um, will probably do well to do as well. But just don't don't try to don't try to use AI to pretend to be a human. Yes. Uh, yeah. That's the part no. where people just go, people just get turned off by it.
Well, you've lose. Well, the whole point you say trust the process. You're about trusting. We're we're about teaching people that you should be the trusted advisor, not just not just be it, but you to you need to live and breathe being mm, the trusted. Yeah. Some good things that I've seen. Um, we partner with John Yeo from TEDx Melbourne. He's, oh yeah. He's that licensee holder. He's he's been the licensee holder for fourteen years. A great tech head. Um, you know, when he took over that license, he had access to all the videos, and he was able to well, basically look at the data and see when people would on a TEDx talk. He could see the data when someone would pause, rewind, or abandon a video, and he mm. went back thirty seconds and worked out what they were doing. And so he created this formula and he's one of our, what we call our partner trainers, which means he has his own business. But what we've done in the last year is get people that are real pillars of expertise, like you said about the marketing thing, and call them in to work with us. So we've got the same for business development, negotiation, people that have been GMs of businesses for 40 years of different businesses, and they just are absolute key experts in that area. And he does it for advanced communications for, yeah, if you're at a conference or whether it's a corridor conversation, and he uses that data of how to keep attention and to help keep people engaged and how to influence, right? Lovely mm. guy. He's really personable. And he'll be the first to say that he's quite introverted and found it quite exhausting at the beginning to, to do speaking things, but he's just very um, articulate and kind, warm person that you can learn off. You know, he's very – we have live events with him all the time. And the reason I mention him is because he posted it on LinkedIn, which I immediately jumped on and reposted, and now we have it as a blog on our website. And it's um, and, and asked him how much time it saved him. So it's basically he's reading. It, it's got the two pictures, and one picture is his eyes actually reading the script down here. And it's got it's nineteen seconds long. The whole thing goes hi, da 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 from AI. I'm actually reading the script da da da. And the other picture is him. The eye mm, yeah. painted in. That's one of many, many things out there, right? But I have to say, you wouldn't know. And so he's saying, and at no point during this have I actually looked at the camera once. So I I had to get him, I said to him, how long did that take to do? <clears throat> now, normally when I ask anybody, but when they and you know this, when they provide a 20-second promo or something. <clears throat> or a 30-second promo, or a minute promo. You know, people just think they've just done it and they've just uploaded it, right? And often it takes people two or three hours. They retake, retake, the lighting, yep. retake, retake, oh, et cetera, et cetera. And he said, I think he said it took him, it was like under five minutes. So because mm. he could just do it like that, that's it. So so that actually means if he's pushed for time, or if any of us pushed for time, and we have that software and we have to just share with um, a member of the team in another country or with your own team or with a client and you want to say, I'm going to say, hi, Ben, lovely chat the other day, da, 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 da. You could sort of get away with it for the short little video because it means you haven't got to retake and retake and retake and retake. Yeah. And it's just one of those things that's like, you know, it's time-saving, it's effective, you you wouldn't know and who cares? He just wanted to get across yeah. this particular sentence and does it matter? I mean, well, I, with Loom, you mentioned Loom earlier, right? I'm completely obsessed with Loom. And I record things for the team over the weekend as I, uh, I see things and I record them for the team. And sometimes I have to re-record it, you know, and re-record yep. it, record over it. And then I'm like, oh, by the time I have the fifth version, I'm like, oh, you know, I'm completely like exhausted and it comes across. 
don't know, kids walked in the kitchen or something, I happened to do it at home or something like that. But that makes me think, actually, using those sort of things, you can use all these things just to make life so much easier and to shorten the distance of your time and be more mm. effective and efficient. And I've seen many things out there, but I think the the chat box is a brilliant one. I mean, it's been around for a long, long time. And, you know, the chat GDP, I mean, I used that. I had a client around the other day and they picked something up. They'd left something at a workshop and they came around and picked it up. And I've known, I've worked with him for about eight years. And he came around and he works in particular in construction. And he's a business owner. And he said, oh, I don't know if there's anything on that I can do. And I said, I said, oh, you know, um, how about we have a 500-word blog about the top five questions people are asked when it comes to, I'll just insert plumbing for now for the sake of it, home plumbing. And mm. I just like that. And I said, come over here and make a cup of tea. He said, what's going on? I said, oh, well, it's finished. Haven't got the kettle on yet. And he walked back and his eyeballs, it was a wonderful moment, like watching somebody <laughs> go, what on earth has just happened? I said, look, it won't help your Google algorithm, et cetera. I don't know the ins and outs of it, but at least you've got something very quickly. And, I mean, I use it for for um, to, to collect research, right? So if I want to mm-hmm. go, let's just say I do a leadership blog on um, how to read your team effectively or something or other for leaders or sales teams, right, maybe it's a, a very specific I often want to find some research to back that, and that's where I use it. I'll go on and I'll say any research to do with, you know, this particular subject, Harvard research or something like that, please, you know, please. I even say, <laughs> see, my son jumps and goes, does he please? What are you saying please for? So that's what I'm <laughs> about having to write it in properly. But, but they'll actually say, you know, yeah, and then up it comes, you know. It could be a 500-word block. I'm not going to use that block. The tone isn't me. Even when I put in my tone, the tone isn't me. Um, the Even when I put in English language, it's not never English language. It's American language. So I find that I can't use any of the blog except for the clip it's off the – at the moment I can't, but that's down to many factors, right, Ben? Yeah. But the clips of Harvard research study paper, da 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 da, yep. da. I clip that out, I clip that out, I clip that out, and I'm going, right, is that relevant enough if it isn't what did I input to get that but that has speeded up my blog yes. because now I can pull that data in without sitting there and looking up and frankly after 10 minutes of looking up I think I'll oh, forget it I'll just run the blog without that research yeah and now I've got bang is there any research on this you know personality types da, 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 any research on this to do with this particular art do extroverts make better salespeople do introverts yeah. make better da, da, da. you know any and I put research bang Go off and make a cup of tea. So I make a yeah. cup of tea, you know. I just go and do something, come back like um, 35 seconds later and yeah. and it's there. So I think there's lots. Um, anything else, AI and marketing? I mean, that chat box I'd say is marketing, but anything else on marketing that jumps to your – Oh, for sure. I mean, co- copywriting as like a first point, point, you know, start the copy and then have somebody edit um, is uh-huh. is super helpful. Um, actually, I I do find it really helps with um, with things like just annoying creative processes. An example is um, I need to come up with a name for a webinar, right? Uh, and you're like, oh, what should I call that webinar? And so one of the things I like to do is is ask. Um, I don't know if you if you've noticed this with ChatGPT, you can get it to do to do things in the style of someone or of another yes. business yeah. because, you know, like for example, with webinars, I think like, I just think like, I want to write a name for a webinar like HubSpot would, right? Cause they're really good at stuff like that. And so I can be like, um, 
give me 10 ideas for webinar names that are about XYZ in sales in the style of HubSpot, right? And so it'll give me like mastering the art of sales prospecting, strategies and tools, the ultimate sales playbook, creating a winning sales strategy. I literally did this while we were talking, by the way. Um, but the, the two things for me are the in the style of and mm. give me 10. Mm. Because if I say give me one, I never get what I want. I'm always like, give me 10, give me 15, give me 20, and it'll just go yeah. brrr. You're greedy. Then, greedy is what you're saying. And then I pick pieces from multiple different options and mash them together and I get what I want. Yeah. That usually means that because I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but you go into a meeting and everyone's like, what should we call that thing? And it's like, oh, we'll figure it out later. And then a week later, no one's figured it out. Uh, it shortcuts that whole thing. And I'm like, all right, there's the name. We're done. Yeah. Well, I like that's it for stuff great. like that. That's a great one. Yeah. Headings for, openings for. Yeah. The other day, Titles somebody, for, subject lines, for. all that stuff. Mm. Yeah. Response to, I need a, we did something and Mark in here put in um, answers for, answers to this email, actually. Different ways to answer this email in a positive, upbeat, something or other. I think it's endless, the possibilities. So that's AI marketing. That's AI marketing. And mm -hmm. for copywriting and to tidy that up. Um, what about, um, well, there's one thing we haven't discussed yet, Ben, which was you talked about marketing and sales with your um, offshoring, but you didn't talk about servicing. I need to loop back to that. Um, what about AI in, you know, you know what, I'm sorry, forget the AI, but the conversation that yeah. has been hot topic for me this week. Yep. It's like I'm a magnet for this conversation is getting people back to the office. So all I'm hearing mm. from people is the team are, well, one, the leaders don't know, which is why it's down to trust the process, but something goes offshore, right? One, because I speak to people about their development pathway for their teams, where the teams are at, what conversations they're having, where the stretch is, et cetera. And, of course, now... People go generally, I don't know mm. what conversations they're having. All I know is we're converting 10%, 30%, 90%, whatever, and I don't know if it should be 20% higher because I'm not there having the conversations. Mm. And, you know, if they do turn up the reps on their best behaviour and doing everything squeaky clean, but they're getting fatigued and they're – it's almost like it's wearing thin. And a client said to me yesterday that they had read an article – where had they either read an article it was a client that they were dealing with oh it's going to come to me it was a big bank it was a bank because the type of client that I was working with and they had decided to bring everyone back in the office mm, I was having it, zoom zoom yeah. just brought everyone back to the office yes yeah 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 right 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 mm. so they said one part of it was they were saving money no need to have a big office anymore in the city la 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 look at the headcount we're saving money here because they were having small offices but now they're like they need to have like an anchor day they're calling things or whatever day and it's you know that's that ticks off mental health that ticks off collaboration that I mean ticks off hundreds and hundreds of things it ticks off skill set it ticks off sharing information with each other you know lifting every, everybody else's game up but that has been I've heard that in every meeting I've had they've said okay and this is to do with core teams not like what you're dealing with which is offshore they should be part of the team zoom them in etc they're definitely part of the team collaborating but yeah, what's what are the the team 
what's the word I'm looking for? Not not this just the skill level, not morale, but the team. Well, they're they're less efficient now, mm. and so they're finding they're all pulling them back in. They're all pulling them back in. I I think this is um, it's I mean it's one of the big the big topics of right now because we're seeing lots of companies starting to push their teams to come back into the office. We've been seeing it for a long time. Um, personally, uh, I find it hard working from home all the time, right? Purely solo from home. Um, I have proactively, we, we have zero offices around, uh, you know, in our HQ countries around the world. Um, and so we don't have a place to go. Uh, we, we have some office space and things like that in, in the city, but, um, some meeting room type stuff. But I find, I found recently that I go into the city to do meetings and stuff and work from other people's offices. I've got a, we've got a couple of close close contacts uh, that we do a lot of stuff with where they've got spare desks and I'll go into the city and work from their office for a day uh, because I miss it. So we we know we know for sure that there's a lot of burnout out there. There's the workforce, the population at large, is you know more depressed, less connected. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera, than they've ever been, um, yeah. and it's a problem. And so, yeah. you know, a lot of companies are pointing at like, oh, they're less efficient, they're less effective because they're at home. So we need to bring them in. Mm, I don't think that, that what is happening. I think what's no. happening is that the world at large is be has become far more digital and far less connected, and so whilst bringing people back into an office might actually be a good solution if you're doing it for the wrong reasons it won't be because people who are monitored closely and micromanaged and whatever else in an office are going to hate their job anyway so you're probably not yes. going to get the result that you were looking for and so for me it's like what is the actual problem and what actually solves that right connection growth um, being a part of something bigger than yourself, mm. you know, service, uh, self-actualization, being the, the, doing the best that you can do, being put in positions to, to, um, do what you're good at and succeed. All of those things are actually in reality, what create happiness, um, having, you know, the occasional yoga session for the sake of ticking a box, um, doesn't solve the problem right mm. so look trust the process we've literally just recently redone our vision mission values actually funnily enough around this topic um <laughs> we we don't want the world to become more and more and more digital we actually want to pivot back the other way and we want to say that whilst we will absolutely be a digitally enabled business that uses technology and uses automation, all of those sort of things to improve the efficiency of our business and the business of our clients. We want to be far more connected, right? We want to get together and we want to have dinners and we want to do events and we want to have fun and we want to be a really fun organization to work with that actually goes against this whole disconnected way that the world has gone. And so I think as far as like the whole coming back to the office thing, um, I know some companies that have brought their 
their teams back to the office because their teams asked for it, right? Mm. Um, and they've remained really flexible about it. But there is a really, there is a really important fundamental human question, which is, do people know what makes them happy? Right? Because what teams ask for and what businesses think they should do, I don't know are also truly aligned with the goal of having happy, engaged employees. People say they worked too hard, but I think we know from so many studies that actually hard work creates happiness when there is fulfillment to it. So to me, it's like, do we bring them back into the office? Well, that depends. What for what purpose and how are we going to treat them and how are we going to help them to treat themselves? If people live lives and work in environments that are conducive to being unhappy, then they will be unhappy. And if they live lives and exist in environments and workplaces that are conducive with being happy, then they will be happy. Not all of the time. It's obviously a gray scale. It's constantly changing. But so to me, the question is less about should everyone come back to the office and what is an environment that creates fulfillment, right? People don't have to, yeah, actually that's probably even better than happiness because mm. you can't have happiness all of the time. Nobody can have happiness all of the time. It's a, it's not a steady state destination. And so what's the, what's the work environment that helps people feel fulfilled and being around other people and being connected to other people is certainly a part of that. And if your team are working from home and nobody ever talks to them and you never do anything fun, uh, then they'll probably be really unhappy at home. Same as if you do that at home. The cheat code with at work is that what do people do when they're all together? They go out and they have a few beers after work and they do all those things and they connect on their own, nothing to do with you as, as the business. So, um, there's probably some benefits to it. I don't think necessarily it's the answer for most companies. I think most companies are going to bring people back to the office. Those people are going to be unhappy. They're going to think it's because they're back at the office and they're going to move to companies where they don't have to go back to the office and they're going to continue to be unhappy probably at those companies too. Yeah. So um, I don't have a like a good simple answer to it other than like we just have to focus on being real human beings and connecting with people and caring about them as individuals and holding them accountable. Like the whole like just letting people um, do whatever they want and thinking that that's like how you make them happy is also a huge problem. Like companies being afraid to tell people that they've done the wrong thing and hold them accountable, yeah. that doesn't create happiness either. <laughs> oh, that's right. You know, yeah. I just um, – I just saw an article or watched something, I can't remember what it was, about – um, I'm sorry, I can't quote who said it because I can't remember it. It's to do with children, right? But it made me think just then what you've just said, Ben, that maybe this is translatable because, after all, we're just big children, right, um, that there's nine minutes a day that are really important to children as a parenting point of view. And, I mean, this caught my attention, right, because there's a constant guilt as a parent that runs their own business that yep. the children are always saying, you're always working, you're always working, you know. Um, so... And it's the th it's the th it's break broken into three lots of three minutes. So all we've got to do is pull out the bag for nine minutes a day, Ben. We're right. So the first <laughs> three minutes, the first three minutes when they wake up, the first the three minutes when they come in from school, and the three minutes before they go to bed. 
So, you know, yep. if you've got five kids, it's going to be a bit tough for you. But and, and that's interesting to me because I make a big effort. There's lots of the areas of parenting which I am very, if there was a scale, I'd be very low on. But I always make an effort when they wake up to welcome them to the day. And it's not for three minutes, that's for sure, but it's I make them feel good about getting up. And I'm, I'm not actually there when they're coming from school very often, but if I am, I, I, I make them grumpy usually, but I make a big thing of that. And then before they go to bed, that's almost the best time of my day <laughs> because mm. they go to sleep. But I spend time in still in all the beds, or two of the beds at least, and we have some time. It's like, you know, there's no distractions in other children. I'm not working, trying to answer an email and everything else because you're in bed and it's dark. And so in my mind, at some level, I knew that they were important. But I think what you've just said about it's not the office that people are craving. It's not the office that's the answer. It's the it's all the other things you said, which include purpose and connection and oh, inner west. Um, but the, it's the connection bit. So maybe mm. as leaders, we need to connect think of the same thing for our team. You know, I'm often in doing a masterclass before the team arrive or I'm on Zoom before they arrive. And that means I put my head out to go, hi, how are you? How was your weekend? Hold on a minute. (laughs) And then I do the next thing. And then I put my head out and go, oh, and then I go back in again. And, you know, actually, can I, should I be forming that three-minute connection where I can just, when they make a coffee, walk up with them, stand there and make a coffee or stand there and just connect and be present and and not you build it in like a system, like a process. My time for looking at LinkedIn, which I find is, you know, that's a job in itself now, right? So I used to walk to the coffee shop and that was my four minutes, two-minute walk there, wait for the coffee, come back. That was my LinkedIn time every day. And now we've got a person who makes great coffee. I, I miss that every day. But that was my mm. strategy to do that. Maybe my strategy is now to walk up with them to the coffee or sit with somebody or walk somewhere. And that's that connection time where we're just, I'm just present with them. And it's present as they arrive, present maybe over lunch, and then and then present maybe before they go. Mm. That's the same thing. You don't have to feel as like, oh, I'm trying to juggle feelings. But actually, if I can just be really, truly present for pockets then that actually means the person's heard and listened to and understood and you've connected. That word you've used, connected, which I think is crucial, you've connected at another at another level, right? So I think mm-hmm. what you've touched on there is really interesting about going back to the office because it really is the buzzword at the moment. Um, 100%. Just, I mean, for, everybody can think about this. What are the, even in the office, what are the leaders that you loved and what are the leaders that you didn't love? The leaders that you didn't love are probably the ones that arrived in the morning, walked straight past everyone, walked into their office, shut the door, you know, came out occasionally to do a drive-by and drop a bomb on someone's desk. Um, and then, you know, at the end of the week, try and have a few beers with everyone and be like, hey, pizza party. Mm-hmm. Um, and who are the ones that you love? The ones that, um, the ones that would always make time to do a one-to-one with you and spend that time and let you bring your stuff to the table. Uh, The ones who would drop by your desk, not to drop work on you, but to take work from you uh, or to see how you're going with things. See if you need help, see if you need any guidance or advice without having to go and ask for it because they're too busy, right? Like, all of those little things, they translate actually whether somebody's in the office or whether they're at home. 
the check-in itself and the purpose for the check-in and the content of the check-in are really important. Mm. One of my favorite things I used to love doing working in an office was I would do one-to-ones with my team every week, but we would never do it in a meeting room. We would go for a walk and do a lap around the block, go and get a coffee, go and get a juice. One of my favorite team members ever had a his own juice uh, that he would get from this particular place that was n- named after him. He could go in and order it by his own name. I'll have a my name. I won't say who it is. Um, but if he ever listens to this, he'll know who he is. Um, actually, everybody else who was around him will know who, the, who he is. Uh, but that just like not being, not sitting in a meeting room, being like, show me your numbers, but that walk around the block, how are you going, what are you working on, what's happening, how's the family, all of the non-work stuff, but all of the work stuff too. And if we ran out of time because we only covered their stuff, that was okay for that particular meeting. If they had nothing else and I had a list of things, then I'd cover the things that were for me. But like all of those bits and pieces I miss massively because they were built-in check-ins where I could really connect with people. It's harder to do when you're when everybody's from home, but it's actually more important to do. You have to do it all the time. You have to check in with them. You have yeah. to talk with them every day and you have to talk to them about things that aren't just, how's the deadline going? Why aren't you getting the results that I wanted you to get? The burden is higher work from home for that stuff, for connection, because they have less of it. They're more reliant on you for it because they're not getting it from their colleagues that would normally drop past their desk and have a chat and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. The burden of leadership is greater. It it is. In fact, I had a colleague that was um, what we used to do is to to sort of video conference or whatever it happens to be, Teams or Zoom, to ask about something and then we'd finish but we'd leave it on. And carry on working, and sometimes it'd be left on for an hour, and it's just we didn't we didn't even talk to each other often during it, and it was just because we were so lonely, not mm-hmm. having company, that only every ten minutes and we would go, oh, you know, the cat's done this, or oh, I'm just gonna make a cup of tea, or, but the rest of the time it was just having that person there, and I thought, oh, God, this is really interesting. What we're really craving is not necessarily having talking or listening, but also the idea of having energy exchange between mm. people. Yep. And, you know, I went to some meetings just in the city, and I have to say it's been a long time since I've had that many meetings back-to-back because people was, you know, video conferencing now all the time. And something really magical happened in those meetings. That One, the meeting was ten times uh, longer than it needed to no, longer than it would have been if it was a call. <laughs> yeah. Um, and with one client, it was, um, we just sat there. I've known them for years. We just sat there and just smiled. And no one felt the need to talk. No <laughs> one felt the need to talk. And they were, they were like, thanks for coming. I was like, it's fine. How are you going? And it was a big pace between everything. They're like, lovely to have you mm-hmm. here. And just the first two or three minutes, we were just sort of smiling and just taking in that we were there. And when we hugged, I just How felt the like, was different, you know. How and good. I thought, yeah, this was to this, you know, 18 would have gone like nice to see you straight down to business and we were down to business after that absolutely but the first few minutes maybe four was just sort of taking in being we were just being and just enjoying and 
I just I remember at the time thinking, oh, this is really wonderful. Mm-hmm. And when I left, it just felt really it was just an energy exchange between people, being around people that are positive and uplifting. And, you know, we, all leaders want that positive team culture where they're all contributing and accountable and blah, blah, blah. Mm. And that was just one of them, just being around, just feeling, you know, being around somebody else. Um, I need to ask you about, mm. we did sales. I'm looping back to something now from earlier on. Yep. Right. You said in sales, what would be good? This is back to your business. Mm-hmm. You said in marketing. But we didn't cover service. service. Service, I think, is actually the easiest answer, right? Because ultimately it's about um, your customers having access to information and and having access to people that can help them to get something done, usually. And so for me, the service part is um, like if you have a high volume of customer inquiries, and that can be product inquiries, it can be service inquiries, but it can be simple things like if you're a, um, a cleaning company and you have to do a lot of scheduling, right? Like a person needs to be in a place at a certain time. You're a chiropractor. You've got people coming in uh, at certain times in the calendar throughout the day and that stuff changes regularly. Well, if you have one person doing that in Australia, for example, Right, it's like a chiropractor or a cleaning company. Is it scheduling, and you have to move the scheduling? Yeah. So, like, if a if a customer calls in and they need to move what time they're going to be there, or you're going to be at their place, um, and you've got one person available to you in Australia, and that person's already on a call, well, what happens to that customer? Right, that customer doesn't get answered. Uh, they potentially now are worried and you've created stress in their life and now they're going to call back again and maybe they get through. But they're getting through and they're already at a higher effort level and they're maybe a little bit more on edge and then they say, I need to move the schedule to Wednesday at 3 p.m. I'm sorry, we don't have anybody available at that time. Because of the the headspace that they're in, they're far more likely to have more problems with that and push back on it and et cetera. So in a role like service, particularly for things like scheduling, for inquiries that people are going to make, um, like let's say, for example, on delivery times for something, if the role itself is significantly improved through availability, right, if the customer service is improved through availability, then most of the time you're going to be better off having three people in the Philippines versus one in Australia, right? Yeah. Yeah, and so anything like that from a service perspective where the inquiries are relatively easy, the scheduling is relatively easy, all of the information doesn't require a massively technical knowledge of the particular thing. And look, you can get people that can do that stuff. Let's say, for example, you um, need to provide some sort of like IT help desk Right, you can get far more qualified people for far less money in the Philippines than you can in Australia. But wherever the thing from a service perspective is going to be improved, your customer service is going to be improved through volume, having more people available more of the time, maybe yeah. even through night shifts. 
that's where to me service is massively valuable to offshore because now my customers get the information that they need and they get the help and the service that they need when they need it. I'm easy to deal with because I have those people, right? And that comes down to the customer's ease of use, right? You know, this whole idea of customer experience being about delighting people, I've got to have amazing experiences, et cetera, et cetera. Any of that stuff only matters, only matters if you're not a pain in the ass to deal with. <laughs> as soon as it's difficult to do business with you, then all of the extra delighting and the presence and the nice messages and the whatever, all that stuff goes out the window as soon as they've got to call you back five times in order to reschedule their massage, right? Yeah. Are you making it easy for the customer? That's one of yeah. our big mottos actually because I feel people make it really hard for the customer to buy off them half the time. Yes. I mean, nobody would actually admit that necessarily, but often I just go, people make it really hard to buy. Mm. Even today I got an email from somebody who said, did you, have you managed to watch my video yet? And I thought, well, if you're really clever, you'd have just forwarded the same email, wouldn't you, with the video underneath to save me having to come out of this email and now to search <laughs> you up and look. Little things like that, there's always little things, you know, that you think, yeah. Are you making it easy for a customer to buy of you? And I, I totally agree. I don't, I don't think people have to delight. When I want a service or something, I don't want to be delighted. I just want to have it. And, yeah, if you go above yeah. and beyond and it's natural and it has integrity and authenticity and it's excellence customer service because it's come from the heart, brilliant. But if you can't do A and B first, I don't really care about health. Don't care about anything else until that time. Yeah. yeah. Um, so on the note then of a question that of maybe um, – You've got an offshore team, you're taking a team member on, you're having them as part of your team. We just talked about that, so make sure they feel like part of the team and connecting with them and having them in team meetings, I guess, and things like that. I know you may have spoken yep. before, but this is a member of your team, you know. This member of your team needs to be included with, with everything on your team. Um, I guess one thing to ask would be what level of control would a business have over mm. over having somebody that's not here i mean what what is it yeah. does it even matter to people anymore if they're already used to a team that's remote isn't this just the same like why would be people even be worried about that i wonder because that was a question that come up before and that people sometimes ask what level of control they can have but if yeah if the team already if your team already remote then what difference does it make mm. where they are? um yeah i think the question is the same whether no matter what country they're in mm. you know there's certainly um certainly a lot of people that have more concerns and they shouldn't really, but they have more concerns with an offshore team than they do with an onshore team, right. uh, whether, whether, you know, when both are remote. Um, and some of that is, you know, like if you have team members in, a, let's say, a less economically developed country, um, people will have concerns about security and safety and all of those sorts of things and they're all really important things to to work through um but actually the whole like control mm. aspect for remote teams versus in office mm. i actually think that it's false <laughs> so um yeah i agree it's the same problem okay so i'm a team leader of some sorts and i'm sitting in an office and i can see all of my team that team, me having control over that team, is nothing to do with their location. 
right? Because I'm not sitting there looking over their shoulder at their screen. People are going to do what they're going to do, whether they're there or whether they're somewhere else. They're going to find ways to mess around and not do the work, etc. Whether they're in an office or whether they're remote, the control that I have by them being in the office is, to me, a bit of a fallacy. Ultimately, control is, and this is something that one of our founders, and this is, I, I believe, a very military saying, control is consistency plus visibility, right? Consistency of process plus visibility of the inputs. So anybody that wants to have control, whether their team is in an office with them, whether their team is out in the field, whether their team is in the Philippines, whether their team is in Nigeria, in all of those scenarios, control is ultimately about, do I have visibility over a consistent process? And so the way that we give that to most of our clients is usually through a CRM, right? We are HubSpot agency partners. We help people implement and develop HubSpot in their business. Uh, we do active campaign as well. Uh, we use HubSpot for ourselves because when the work, when the process is being expressed into a system like HubSpot, into a technology where now the process has visibility because I can see, for example, in sales, I can see where are each of my leads at in the pipeline at what stage and what's happened with them, how many phone calls, what was the content of the phone call because I can record all the calls, uh, what emails have we sent to them, what was the content of the emails, when did they happen, when was the last time we uh, reached out to them, etc., etc. How many times have they been onto our website this month? All, right. All of that stuff, and we're following a consistent process and we can see it, that's what control actually is. And so whether yeah. I'm sat in an office or whether uh, all my team are sat at home, if I have a great fundamental platform like HubSpot that I manage my business through with a good you know, single source of truth as far as what's happening with each individual client, then I have control no matter where they are and I have visibility, not just of the inputs for the process, but I have visibility over efforts and quality and all of that sort of stuff. And when, you know, if all of your customer interactions are done in individual people's emails, how do you, if that customer calls in, how the heck do you know what's going on with them? How do you, how do you have any control whatsoever over what's happening? And so that's the moment where in the office I go, hey, who's been talking to Charmaine? <laughs> And someone go, someone who just doesn't happen to be at lunch goes, oh, it was me, right? Um, whereas if you have a, a, a great foundational system for your business to run on where everybody's emails are connected, everybody's phones are connected, right? Your website speaks to your CRM, your marketing automation speaks to your CRM, your service is done through your CRM, you know, you can raise tickets and manage the customer's called in and they have a problem, the thing on their whatever has broken and we've got to replace it and having a ticket to be able to track whether that has actually been completed and resolved, being able to do all of those things with a single source of truth for the customers just means that you have control, you know. You yeah. can inspect and that is honestly where, whether you're at home or in the office, where I think a lot of businesses fall down is that they don't, actually go and inspect they have the illusion of control because they can see the people yes they don't actually go and in uh on this podcast a few months ago a good friend of mine emily mcleod said 
inspect what you expect, right? And that to me is where you get the control from. Have the fundamental platform where everything happens within it and you get the single source of the truth and then just go looking, right? Don't get too obsessed with dashboards and reports. Super important, don't get me wrong, data is super important, but just go into some deals and do some quality assurance and some yeah. quality checking. Listen to calls, check emails. Why are we saying this at this time? What is that yeah. email? That makes absolutely no sense. Oh, look, this automation is fired and this client has received an email about onboarding at a time when they told us that they're cancelling, right? Like go and inspect what's happening because now you can and if you're doing that, if you've got a platform and you go and inspect it, now you've got control. It doesn't matter whether your team are at home or in the office. It's a wonderful wrap for... <laughs> Every element that you do. The only thing I was going to add is, um, you know, I can hear all these automations and everything, and I think this is fantastic, right? I'm going to also add your salespeople then need to know how to connect properly. They need to mm. know because otherwise they can become, you know, if you ever do extended discs and stuff, the high SCs, they become very task-focused and not really present and engaging with a client because they end up, been taught the system almost before they get taught the outcome and the the client problem from the beginning you know we have a big onboarding here and when we go to the clients and we help them with the leaders we go when, when a new rep starts before you pull them in the office and open their head up and say how about you take them to success stories joe smith was his chops up the street did this then this happened this is how so they're lifted by what they're selling, the purpose word that you came back to, mm. what's their purpose, right? And then you then you know, you go back in the journey. Well actually, you know, we met them three years ago at a conference, then this happened, then this happened, then we, we added value, then we were helpful and then we invited them to this masterclass or whatever, then this happened and then the consequence of that was this and the sale is always the consequence of, you know, all the right behaviours at the beginning and the behaviours and actions are a consequence of how you think as a rep and how you decide to your intent is to engage and and understand and therefore it's more listening than talking so to me what you know i love the fact that when you had to your construction company recently a lot of it was coaching coaching and training as well because you need to have the sales team know how to you've got all this great leads coming in you've got offshore people you know qualifying them and they need to then be able to convert them by understanding mm. how to actually sell effectively and how to sell in 2023, 24 is very different to three awesome. years ago, let alone eight years ago. So and, different, yeah, um, so different. Many more. What's been wonderful, I'm getting many more leaders come on our courses. There's always been leaders in their teams, leaders in their teams, but I'd say probably out of every three, two leaders might come and then one would go, oh, just my team. And you said something earlier, and I made a note of it, um, a key element of what. how do they know what looks good? You know, how can you help your team member if you don't know, if, how do you coach them if you don't know what looks good? And um, I wrote that down because it's like, I'm going to steal that immediately <laughs> because I'm often saying to leaders, well, you sort of need to know how to sell yourself. Um, yeah. Because have you're listening to, 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 to your team and you're, you're influencing and you're speaking to clients, but your team are looking up at you and how you're engaging. And if you haven't been trained professionally by a good organisation the last three years, you're probably, you're probably a few steps behind your competitor. And however great you are, you could be at 200%, I don't care, but you could actually be 
with a few skills at 700% of your target. Like literally, mm. you know, Tiger Woods is having coaching for 10 hours a day, I'm sure. So we can all refine and develop and sharpen our toolbox, as it, as it were. So I think along with those processes, making sure people know how to use them and come back to that connection with a client, the ones that need connection when it's not, when it's not just automated. Um, any passing... Um, not passing thoughts. Is there anything else that you feel, Ben, that you'd be asked normally? If you were sitting here, Ben, asking Ben, what would you ask? Um, well, I can tell you that what I'm being asked a lot mm. at the moment is generally about, like, growing a business during economic turmoil, let's yes. call it. Go. You know, no, um, yeah, look, I, I feel very fortunate that um, some key years of my development as a salesperson happened during the GFC, right? This is not my first rodeo. Um, mm. And some of the key lessons that I learned then I think are, are really valuable right now um, and, you know, were really valuable during covid and these things are going to repeat themselves over and over again and the reality of trying to grow a business during a downturn right a time when everybody is feeling some sort of economic pinch and it has definitely gotten tougher i think in australia we're probably a little bit behind some other parts of the world and we're probably still got some of the worst ahead of us um some of the most important things are that you have to stay aware that somebody's going to win, right? Um, people don't stop spending entirely, but they stop spending on things that they don't see value in, right? Um, what's the first thing everybody does when there's a when there's a cash crunch in a business? They go and they look at all of the various tech platforms and subscription services and all of those things uh, and they go which ones are we using and which ones are we not and they cancel off like if you think of every provider as if you are one of those subscriptions which ones are they going to cancel which ones are they not right you've got to find a way to be one of the ones that they're not going to because you are fundamentally essential to their business fundamentally essential to their life um, and adding enough value the second thing is like like that's just how are we going to keep them? And in some cases, you need to be, you need to really think about, you know, things like, could we offer discounts for payments in full? Pay us for the next 12 months, charge less. Sign up for another 12 months, charge less. Like all of that sort of, how are we going to secure our existing revenue source and our existing customer base? The second thing for me is, how are we going to decrease our costs, right? And this to me is not a purely cost-saving measure. It's looking at your business and realizing where the fat is, right? We talked before about, or I mentioned before about, um, you know, growth sucks cash. Yeah. And if you go and have a look at most businesses, I would say there is fairly significant problems with resource allocation, right? Spending lots of money on some low value tasks. And this is a, a really important conversation for us in the world of offshoring because the, 
the business owner or the MD or the CEO who's spending a bunch of time in administrative tasks is not potentially spending a lot of time building marketing partnerships or closing deals or any of these other things. And if there's, you know, eight hours a week that someone can remove from their calendar in, in low-value tasks that you could pay somebody $10 an hour to do, not in Australia, but offshore you could, um, then shifting those things elsewhere, reprioritizing time, reprioritizing resource allocation. If, if somebody is a founder, an MD, director level above, whatever, and they look at the task that they're doing and they wouldn't pay somebody $70, $80, $90 an hour to do that task if they hired them, they have to stop doing it. <laughs> Right, they have to stop doing it, and they have to delegate it to somebody that is a a, a task appropriate resource and cost. Right, that's probably number two. How do we make sure in our business, in our balance sheet, all of the resources that we're spending are appropriate to the tasks that they're achieving? Yeah. The third thing for me is like, how are we going to win more business in the new environment, in this current environment? And to me, sometimes that is in product development. How do we adjust our product, build a new product, et cetera, you know, that still fits within our realm of expertise and genius. It still is what our clients know us for. We're not like, you know, going from um, a marketing agency to selling people air conditioners. Um, it's still within our, our realm. Or most of the time, it's just how do we need to talk about our product and the solution of our product so that it fits a current need, right? What people are focusing on and what they care about and what they perceive to be their greatest problems will be the things that they're interested in solving and spending money on. And so I've, I've, an example of this for me is, um, you know, I talked about selling during the GFC. On the back, right at the back end of the GFC, I was selling um, sponsorship on conferences, right? Selling sponsorship on conferences. And when we were selling to marketing managers, right, marketing managers, marketing directors, uh, all the questions are around like, um, how many new names am I going to get for the database? How many leads can I generate? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the types of conferences that we were running were paid. They were paid for by the attendee as well as by the sponsor. And so we didn't get huge volumes of people to our conferences, right? We literally changed nothing in how we delivered and developed conferences. But the way that we delivered and developed conferences was we would go to the market and we would find out what are the, the three biggest challenges in that particular industry at that time. And that could be in banking and finance. It could be like micro stuff like drill and blast in mining. What are the three biggest problems that they're having? And we would build a conference around that and we would charge two and a half, three and a half thousand dollars to attend that event. And so we shifted the way we sold sponsorship where we would sell sponsorship to sales directors who still needed pipeline and to make deals. And we focused on the fact that the people that attended our conference paid to be there to solve the problems that the conference was about, which they also solved, right? And so our whole value prop was 
do you want to talk to everybody? Do you want just net new names in the database? Or do you just want to be able to cut through the market where nobody's buying and just find the people who are actively spending money to solve these three problems? Well, sales directors for the most part don't want to talk to 50 people in order to find one. They don't want to go to a 10,000 person event or a thousand person event to find three or four people. And so what we were doing and the way we positioned it was there might only be 40 people there, but all 40 of those people have spent $3,000 in order to find solutions to these three problems. And so yeah. that, that was just changing the value proposition, changing the angle, changing maybe who in the organization we targeted. And, you know, 2008, 2009, 2010, we had massive growth, massive, massive growth in sponsorship sales. Ma By the way, massive decline in, in attendee sales, <laughs> massive yeah. decline in attendee sales, but massive growth in sponsorship sales. And so a business that really should have massively tanked managed to stay pretty much flat um, across the GFC because of that, that change in strategy. So I would say think about what you're selling to your customers and how you're selling to your customers and how you position it and apply it to what's happening in their world, right? What are they feeling? What are they stressing out about? How do we position it to solve that problem? That's probably the major things, right? Um, I would add one more, which is that whatever your customers are feeling and whatever's happening in your market, your team are probably feeling and thinking it too. Um, they are probably worried about their own job. They are probably worried about their own mortgage repayments and all of those sorts of things. Um, we are for the first time in three or four years in a position where um, there's more candidates for the jobs than there has been. Uh, and it's a bit easier yeah, yeah, to hire. Yeah. Uh, that's flipped yeah. back the other way a little bit, which is uh, good for the employers, less so for the employees. Um, and so you can hold people a bit more accountable. But challenge, people love challenge. Actually, people love being a part of resolving and overcoming a challenge. Some of my favorite stories and memories of being a salesperson are from that time at the back end of the GFC or, you know, selling business education, which is absolutely, uh, you know, something people can choose to do or not to do in the middle of COVID. Um, I loved those times and I, I can guarantee that the teams loved those times too. I still talk to people from back in those GFC days, uh, good friends of mine, right? Um, we talk about those times as being really formative for us because they were challenging and people want to rise to the challenge. Like don't assume that they are weak. Yeah. <laughs> assume that your people are, have have the strength and have the capability and they want to rise to the challenge and, and, yeah. and don't try and shield it from them. Don't lie to them and tell them that everything's okay and then turn around and fire 15 people. Like, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I want to give them the chance, give them the respect to step up and fix the problem and help you fix the problem. Yeah, resilience is probably quite a key word that needs to be mm. banded around now. Having some resilience and oh, one hundred percent. And how does everyone get this frigging wrong? How does yeah. everybody? Why does everybody seem to get resilience wrong? Right? Yeah. Resi what what so many businesses are calling resilience now is people don't like to be surprised by the challenge, right? 
They don't like to be hidden from it. They don't like to be treated like children from it. They want to know what problems there are and they want to help to resolve them and they want to work to resolve them. And if they have the information and if they have the the clarity over what the mission is and where they're going, most of the time, and look, some people absolutely won't rise to the occasion, but people that are bought in to trying to, to help work through something difficult will have resilience because they're prepared for it. It's not all of a sudden, every, everything's rosy and now all of a sudden I have all of this extra work and half of my colleagues are gone. Yeah. And now, and now everyone's telling me I need to be resilient. Oh, now we've, now we've got resiliency training. We've got a consultant <laughs> coming in to do resiliency training because we shouldn't feel so bad about the fact that nobody saw coming that you fired 15 of my colleagues. Like, yeah. if you want people to be resilient, just don't be an arsehole. Yeah. Sorry, I got a little, a little bit excited. Hashtag there. Ben. <laughs> I'm not sure you can put that particular line out, really, in a little, <laughs> in a little, little, uh, Box box. I don't know if you can say that. Um, what do you What do you think? What do you think about this resiliency stuff? Like, I'm sh- for sure, it's harder well, to be resilient now. Everyone's different. If you've got mm. if you've got eight kids, they're working from home. Things are happening. You've got mortgage payments. You, you can't put my feet in somebody's shoes that's got a different environment to me. I think, you know, and I think everything is our key motto is observe and adapt to people around you, observe and adapt to clients. And you can't and stop assuming, stop projecting, stop assuming. Um I think I think you've you've covered it. The management needs to be open and honest, but but be able to deliver it in a factual, not necessarily sandwich approach, but a this is the vision for the company. We are doing what we can to keep this happening. This is what's going to happen. And people say, would there be redundancy? Said, so, yes, there might be. And that person, you know, we we will know when you will know. You know, like we, we're working on reducing, making that happen because we want to have a solid foundation, blah, blah, blah. But I think leaders are getting better and better at delivering what, let's just call it bad news and mm. not hiding it and realising that hiding it makes just everyone panic because then it gets hit hit them. They should mm. know that it's coming and they should also know it's probably them that might have to go. And that happens. I see people go two months. Redundancies are happening in about a month's time. I I suspect due to my level in the in the company that getting rid of me is like the same as four salaries on that level and there only needs to be one leader and I suspect they'll merge those things and I suspect X, Y, and Z, you know. And so I think people are better prepared and leaders are better at delivering that and being more transparent but not you can't be over you can be over transparent and then you deliver it wrong then everyone panics there's no need to panic so of course there's there's a lot more to it than that yeah a hundred percent don't don't say it if it's yeah, if it's don't, a maybe don't, don't, don't speak too soon and constantly make yeah. people fear for their lives because yeah, their emotions uh, will go up and down like that yeah. their emotions <laughs> go up and down like that and yeah, yeah i think yeah, I mean, it, all, it all comes down to communication, right, which is what we're talking about here. Everything that you do is communication. You've got your HubSpot, you've got your you've got your market, you've got your um, offshore, and you've got the services that you provide. And they're all how to communicate more effectively with your team, with the offshore, and how to communicate more effectively with your potential customers. And I think, I think everything always comes down to learning better communication skills in general. 
Mm-hmm. And we sort of listen more than talk so we can understand other people and realise they've come from a different lens on the situation to us, more empathy, more kindness maybe, more compassion. And I think those things just help everything move along nicely. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Direction. So if somebody, wants to, if somebody wants to get hold of you, Ben, how would they go ahead with the HubSpot or with the services or with the offshore? What do they need to do? Uh, that's very easy for us, uh, and it should be because we develop HubSpot websites and HubSpot for people. Uh, all roads lead to Rome. If you go to ttprocess.co, any form that you find anywhere on our website, right, will give you the option to put your details in and select what it is that you want to talk to someone about. It will then give you the option to book directly into somebody's calendar to have a conversation about that exact thing. So super easy to opt in and have a chat to somebody, but obviously all of the info is there on the website as well in terms of the services we offer uh, and how we work with our clients. And I, and I would like to say that even our podcasts we've done together and you know communication that we've had, I think trust is the number one to me, the trust is the number one thing that comes out through everything. <clears throat> you know, when I talk about sales 15 years ago, I never talk about trust very often. And now it's like it's the it's the it's the backbone of mm. of relationships, right? So you call me up and say, hey, let's do this, or I call you, hey, and we trust each other, and that's it. And I think I can say hand on heart that as an organization dealing with you and looking at what you're doing, the amount of material and this um the rev up and everything that you're doing is just such good quality. And you know what really did it for me, Ben, and we can have this as some lasting thoughts, is when I talked to you originally last time, no, off, off, off uh, mic about taking somebody on. And you know what really did it for me? You won't, you won't know this, but you, you talked about that team member that might be offshore or that one or that 10 or that 30 or whatever. And the way you, I can't remember the words you used, but you were saying, you know, you've got to love them. You know, you've got to love them. They're part of your team. You've got to go in and this person's part of your team. It's the same. And everything you do with your normal team member will be the same. And the way you described it, I just remember I sat here after just for like 10 minutes just taking that all in. And it was just, it was quite different to, I think, how I pictured it to be, if I was being really honest. And I thought, wow, he's really nailed why it works. And I can see now why, as a company, it works. <clears throat> because you're teaching people, when you take somebody on, they are part of your team. Mm. And respect them and honour them and do everything you would do with your team. They just happen to be not in your office. And just that whole lens that you came in, that whole angle, just made me go afterwards, well, that's why it's working. That's why it's working. That's why you have so many success stories. Because, you know, you're looking at it from a really smart a smart level of going, well, there's an individual somewhere that's working really hard for you and they're maybe not they're not in your office and maybe your other team aren't in your office, but they might have a a different connection with you and your team and maybe they can you can get together for conferences or something and this person maybe isn't and and how are you making sure that you take that into account? And you had a long list of things to take into account. I remember thinking, that's brilliant. I can see why they work well with your with your businesses. I can see how they uh, are sticky. You know, they stay. Mm-hmm. I can see how they bring value to the businesses. I can see that it's a two way. And that whole conversation we had was really um, quite impactful. Made a big, 
made a big impression on me actually and and I walked away from that thinking okay that's that's what it all means that you've got another wonderful team member that's that's got the same purpose and got the same vision and lives the same values and that that's what you've got you've got another member of your team yeah <laughs> so I want to say thanks for sharing that with me before and um you know thanks for sharing some stuff about you know trust the process the word process I'm going to I'm going to, I'm going to go back and record and just hear how many times we say the word just the process and for sharing some, you know, what businesses work really well. And you've shared, you know, as you always are as honest as you always are, what things don't work well because you want successes for people. You know, and I understand that. You'll be able to be very clear and manage your expectations going in. And so I really enjoyed this time together, hearing more about you and, you know, trust the process and all the, the those three services that you offer. So thank you. Oh massively appreciate it. This has been fun, uh, flipping the script, doing it a different way. Uh, super appreciate it. But what about for you, Charmaine, anybody that wants to reach out and uh, get in touch with you, what might they reach out about and where do they reach you? They immediately go on smarterselling.com.au, live chat, form, phone calls. We're a human being here. We can do it. And they're usually people, Ben, that would aligned with you that want They've got their automation maybe in place or not, and they want to have their leaders. They might be a leader themselves. They might have, you know, they might be doing the selling themselves, but they want to make sure that client engagement is the best version of themselves, that they're empowered and confident, and that they've got the skills necessary in 2023, 2024 and ongoing to really understand a customer. And it's so different selling to five years ago, 10 years ago. A great a great example is 15 years ago when I started training at this sort of level, we never talked really about emotional intelligence at all. We didn't talk mm-hmm. about stress. We didn't talk really about organisation um, and all processes, if I was being honest. And now I'd say organisation process is the top one and then, you know, being present, listening, engaging mm-hmm. and and allowing your stop, stop thinking that sales is innate. Stop thinking it's innate, and they know what to do. You know, no other, no other trade would you have where you'd go. You, you want to be a dentist? Off you go. You know what to do. Like nothing else would do that, right? Nothing else would do that. But for sales, people tend to think, oh well, it's just sales, isn't it? So just get them on the you phone. You got it, or you don't. It's like where did that come from? And I, and I used to agree with that. And now yeah. I'm like, you can. It's a science. It's a skill. <laughs> It's a skill and it's a science and it's a process. It's a process. Mm-hmm. And if you could understand people, if your intent and your heart, you've got to be sold on what you're selling, of course, but you're, if, if that is to understand the person or the business, really understand it, then you're going to do well because you're going to ask better questions, listen better, probe better, be more curious, be more hungry, give a damn. That all comes out, not because you've been told to do it, but because your your company's taught you that a sale is just you helping somebody else and there's money involved. So rather than called helping, we call it selling. And once mm-hmm. you've just grasped that concept, you go in it not selling at, but you go in collaborating and partnering and that whole position yourself as the trusted advisor, the authority in your field, the subject matter expert, that's that's how you approach each customer and with passion and enthusiasm and a quick turnaround and being first in best dressed and all those things that we teach. Um, so, yeah, if anybody listening wants to hear about any of that suite of topics, 
then to reach out and we'll be happy to find out more about you and your business and really how we can be of service to you. Fantastic. Uh, I strongly advise anybody that needs any help in the realm of sales, please reach out to Charmaine. And uh, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. See you next time.